Can you guys hear me now? Can you hear me now? Uh, for whatever reason, it's not picking up my uh, regular microphone, as is always the case. Yes, you guys can hear me now, but it's not the usual proper microphone. Uh, we apologize for that. That's a typical Windows thing happening. Uh, let's see, open sound settings. Yeah, I wonder if uh, we can browse. All right. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not going. Well, all right. Well, we're going to have to live with this audio. It's not the best. Um, okay. So if you guys can hear me, let's start from the top. We apologize for that technical difficulty. We were actually uh, getting here last minute. <clears throat> we didn't have much time to prepare, and we didn't have time to do the usual audio checks and everything. So today on, uh, is Canada's Thanksgiving. And um, <clears throat> as such, we are going to be speaking about Thanksgiving. And, and Thanksgiving, even though it's typically understood as a North American holiday, as the, uh, the, the event where the pilgrim settlers celebrated the harvest and giving thanks for the bountiful harvest and for the uh, food stores that would um, sustain them through the coming winter. And they invited the North Americans, the First Nations, to come and, and participate with them. And, and it was like a potlatch. It was like a, a combination, a union of, of uh, native North American and European settlers. It was a combination of their traditions. And the reason why it was a combination of traditions is because Thanksgiving or the celebration of the harvest is something which happens all over the world. It's not unique to North America. It's just that Perhaps only North America has it as Thanksgiving as a holiday with turkey and pumpkin pie. And, you know, it's very sort of uh, not, regimented is not the right word, but it's, it's, it's a clearly defined thing here in North America. Whereas elsewhere around the world, it's just celebrating the harvest and uh, appreciation, Thanksgiving to divine mother nature for, for another plentiful harvest, again, for the sustenance through the winter. And in North America nowadays, because of the uh, revisionist history and, and postmodernism, uh, everyone has mixed feelings now, and all sorts of people have revisionist versions of what Thanksgiving really was, that it was some imposition of the patriarchy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not understanding, of course, that the potlatch was a long-standing tradition among 
First Nations. And that the First Nations willingly participated. The pilgrims at that time had no dominance or authority in North America. In fact, Thanksgiving as a celebration, as, a, as an event, was one of the activities which it was hoped by the Masters of the White Lodge that would bring the First Nations and the European settlers together and create a, a sense of communion, a sense of community between them and amongst them, a sense of cooperation, a sense of mutual celebration, a sense of collective, a new collective identity as this group of, of uh, mixed peoples. This, of course, was more successful in Latin America, in Central and South America, where today we have Mexicans, we have Brazilians, we have Argentinians, Colombians. All throughout Latin America, we have Latin Americans, which are neither natives nor are they Europeans. They are a mix or a combination. Now, the vast majority of them speak uh, either Spanish or Portuguese. And most of their theological or religious leanings are towards Christianity, because that's something that the European settlers brought with them. But they have a unique and distinct culture, which cannot be said to be either European or uh, native South American, or native Central American for that matter. Those pockets of natives that still exist in Central America and South America, uh, they are much like, in that sense, much like the the First Nations of the, of the North Americans. They're sort of isolated, uh, xenophobic, and clinging on to their uh, their culture, which um, is very different, various different forms of um, animal or nature worship, and um, with some semblance, some fragments um, from their former high civilizations. Now, the exception to that rule are the Kogi Mamas of the uh, Sierra um, in Colombia, the high Sierras of the Colombians. Uh, they are, they preserve the secret teachings of the inner circle of high priests from the uh, uh, Aztec and Mayan empire. So they preserve the true teachings. And that's why they uh, have an isolationist uh, attitude towards the settlers and towards the rest of the world because they preserve one of the last remaining vestiges of uh, true gnosis, certainly in the Americas. Um, but they separated, they, <clears throat> they left before the collapse of their respective high civilizations and they, they, they went and secluded themselves up in the, uh, um, in the mountains of Colombia because they knew what was coming and they knew that if they didn't preserve the teachings, that those teachings would be lost. And the Kogi Mamas are, uh, the Mamas are their, essentially their, their 
they're, they're masters and they preserve a wealth of knowledge which uh, master Samael documented in the book um, esoteric medicine and practical magic he went and he spent really four years with them he, him and his wife little aunties and the kogi are famously xenophobic and they would never allow outsiders to go and and live with them but master Samael and his wife little aunties were were permitted to go and live with them and study with them and learn from them but the rest of the native north americans the native americans in general the ones who didn't mix with the europeans uh they were the remnants of the masses and they rejected and they turned away from the teachings because by that point the high priests uh became degenerated as all civilizations do their religion had become degenerated and so then the crops were failing these uh aztec and mayan civilizations that become so huge in their capital cities for example tikal they had completely cleared the rainforest and completely paved over the rainforest with stone and they were as in modern times you know trying to figure out how to feed literally millions of people and the crops were failing and so the the practice of the uh, for example the mayans of uh, human sacrifice and spilling blood in an attempt to reinvigorate the soil with prana with energy uh that's when those practices came into came into being and of course it was a, it was essentially blood magic at that point and which is a terrible 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 de degeneration from the highs of those civilizations and of course the masses the lower classes were those who were chose the chosen ones to be sacrificed and so you can see from their point of view this they were not going to stand for this they said well we know how to live in harmony with nature and they grabbed themselves and they went back into the jungle they gave themselves back to nature they they went to go live in harmony with nature and by nature we mean mechanical nature and all native tribes everywhere in the world be it africa australia uh again eurasia uh, south america north america it doesn't matter uh all are remnants of high civilizations and all have adopted and assumed that lifestyle and that culture culture and that spirituality of nature worship for the precise reason that the high civilizations that they were a part of collapsed and part of that collapse is always uh mass starvations failure of crops um and we have we ourselves are beginning to um, get inklings of this in our civilization because we are already starting to run into food shortages and we have inflation and so the uh, feeding of the populace is going to become a challenge even for us but regardless when the europeans arrived those civilizations were were in steep decline 
in some cases, for example, the Mayans and the Aztecs, but others had already declined. The Olmec, the Toltec, the Mississippian, and so many others whose remnants scattered and spread throughout the Americas. And they became the very, the various uh, nations, the so-called First Nations, who were all warring with each other. And, you know, they're, they fell into tribalism, right? The different nations are basically tribes or nations of tribes. And when the Europeans arrived, whereas in Central and South America, due to the circumstances being as they were, there was much more of a, a mixing that took place. And again, the result is the Mexicans, Argentinians, Colombians, Brazilians, etc. We have the Latin populations, the Latin peoples of the Americas. But in North America, this did not take place. In North America, there's one uh, small group that existed in Manitoba, it still exists today, the Métis, which were a mixture of French Canadians, so like French Canadian and um, and a native tribe and they they it was a unique culture and of course there's a whole segment of history in canadian history known as the uh the rebellion the metis rebellion and louis riel and we had to study about this in in high school but apart from these very small pockets there was no great mixing of the european settlers and the first nations there could have been and there should have been because it was the only way to revitalize and rejuvenate the First Nations who had already experienced their high civilization and were on the decline. But they had a very uh, suspicious and xenophobic um, attitude. And not only that, they had a very proud attitude they had many of them they had the attitude that these europeans would not even survive the winter that they were weak that they were decadent they were that they could not survive the ruggedness of north america except for maybe you know the trappers and the, the fur traders etc but those were small bands and small pockets of traders they didn't and they they because they traded with the the native natives they didn't see much problem with them but the settlers they found is weak and because of this obviously and the wars that the european wars that the british and the french brought with them to north america which is strange because in south america the spanish and the portuguese brought their wars to south america but in the case of the british and the french in north america various different bands of indians or sorry, First Nations, uh, allied with the different sides. So you ended up with, and those allies, those uh, alliances were formed based on which nations of native North Americans were fighting each other. 
so all of this all of this uh big mix that was happening mostly in in north america and then or sorry in canada in that area upper and lower canada and then in the united states um there was a different sort of um situation happening with the uh, with the natives but the long and the short of it is that thanksgiving did not have the effect that it was meant to have and we're living with the consequences of that to this day but again all that we want to put a set aside we want to set aside for this today's talk all that is in the past and there's nothing we can do about it and what we hope to be able to share with you today are insights into this practice of thanksgiving what is thanksgiving and how do we use it on a daily basis because thanksgiving is practical it's not a once a year activity to honor the harvest and honor mother nature for the bounty for the plenty of a good harvest it is also that and it's good to do that but when we talk about harvest we should remember that in our lives we harvest each and every moment there is a harvest to be had from each and every moment and to comprehend the nature of this harvest we turn to that old expression we reap what we sow that's an expression that comes from the bible and not just the christian bible there's very very similar statements were made by all the great avatars and there's a similar statement in the quran as well it is essentially a statement of the great law of karma we reap what we sow and what that means practically speaking is that in every moment of our lives the circumstances of our lives are present they exist they show up as a consequence of our actions to be in a state of thanksgiving then is to be aware of that number one number two to be grateful but what is it that we reap moment by moment the conscious experience of the moment yes but many many people go through life experiencing 
they never actually reap anything from their experience. So when we think of karma, normally we think of good things happening to us or bad things happening to us based on our past actions. And that's true, but that's the surface level. Why consequences happen? Cause and effect, effects exist for a reason. On the level of the great law, there's a level of, of balancing the universe and balancing positive and negative forces, of course. But this notion of reaping, reaping the word itself relates to harvest time the whole notion of the grim reaper who is the angel of death who has the great sickle in his hands that symbol again comes from the harvest because a sickle is what you use to reap the wheat. But that reaping is an action. It is an active state, which means you may sow the seeds of karma based on your past actions, you may have sown seeds. And uh, the effects of those seeds may happen to you. Just as if you sow the seeds in the field, the field will grow. But that's not enough, is it? It's not enough. Even the holiday of Thanksgiving, it's giving thanks to the harvest. And harvest time, as many of you who know, who have ever lived on a farm, grew up on a farm, or even if you haven't grown up on a farm, even if you've just gone to farms in the fall to uh, pick your own vegetables or pick your own fruit, which is very, we don't know how common it is in other parts of the world, but here in where we live in Ontario, it's quite popular and quite common where you go in for, for very little money, comparatively speaking, you get to pick your own vegetables and pick your own fruit. And the reason why it's comparatively so inexpensive is because obviously you are the one providing the labor. So the farmer doesn't have to pay somebody else to pick those crops because that's where the majority of cost in our produce that we buy in the store or we buy at the farmer's market, the majority of the expense goes into the labor cost of the harvest. But there's labor in harvesting. And yes, uh, hello, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. And Daniel says, yeah, you can't, all, you can't just plant the seeds and walk away. It's a year-long process. That's true in the case of crops, but in the case of our karma, 
we don't necessarily have to tend to the, the seeds that we plant are our past actions. And those actions will return a consequence that is beyond our doing. We don't have to tend to our past mistakes, for example, to receive the consequences. But the consequences happen, but we still have to harvest. You reap what you sow is not automatic. It's not, we, if we stay just on that surface level of saying, I made a mistake and now bad stuff happened to me, so I paid my karma, you haven't paid your karma. That's not how karma works. You reap what you sow. The reaping is active. It takes effort. It's labor intensive. What we reap from our past mistakes must be a lesson. It must be knowledge. That is the harvest. That is the harvest that we gain. And that is what we reap from what we sowed. And what we sowed are, are past mistakes due to defects and vices. And those actions have consequences. And again, this goes deeper than this because those actions, the, the seeds that we plant through those mistakes are the seeds of ego. The karmic seeds we plant grow inside of us. And what attracts uh the consequences of those past actions are the egos that have grown. They are the seeds of all negative effects. So when bad things happen to us and we play the victim or we blame others, we blame luck, we blame, we blame circumstances, we blame everyone and everything, but we don't blame ourselves or we just chalk it up and say, Oh, well, that's bad karma or whatever. And you know, that's, it's over and done with now. But again, that's missing the point. And the point is that our past mistakes or our past indulgences planted seeds of ego inside of us. And those seeds have now grown into a field and or uh, into a tree. And that tree bears fruit. And the fruit that that tree bears is poison fruit to us. And that's why it doesn't matter. Bad stuff happens to us. And we can observe in our life cycles of repetition 
of the same events or similar circumstances, similar events, similar people repeating themselves over and over and over and over again. Similar scenarios. And the reason why they keep repeating over and over and over again is because that tree that we planted inside of us is bearing this poison fruit. Season after season after season after season. Now, if you don't want that poison fruit in your life anymore, we have to cut down the tree. We have to reap. We have to take a sickle to ourselves. This is why that image, that symbol, the grim reaper is death. And why we talk about on the path, the path is one of psychological death. To reap what you sow means to cut down the crop which we planted that is now creating an abundance of poisoned produce. Why? Because the seeds that we planted were egoic. So we have to cut it down. We have to reap it. But even though that produce, that abundance that is now growing from those seeds is negative, Through the act of reaping, through the act of harvesting, we harvest something precious. We harvest sustenance. That's gnosis, the self-evident experiential knowledge, that which we seek in life. It's the lesson that we learn. So this expression, we reap what we sow, is multifaceted. It's a double-edged sword. Because, of course, in the usual sense of the, of the expression, if we do good things, if we do kind things for people, well, then kind things and good things will return to us. It's a beautiful expression. And it's, there's truth to it, of course. We reap what you sow. If you go through life being kind and giving and sacrificing for others, well, then you, you earn credits, karmic credits. You can receive initiations. You can receive boons and rewards and, and blessings and miracles from the masters. Why? Because you reap what you sow. And there's truth to that, and that's beautiful, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But when you sow the seeds of discord and discontent and suffering, when you sow the seeds of ego, of fear, of lust, of greed, of pride, of shame, of narcissism, and all the rest of it, laziness, gluttony, 
Well, don't be surprised what grows in your fields is poison fruit, is poison food. And things start showing up which, which obviously can only reflect, can only be a reflection of the nature of the seeds which we sowed. It makes sense. If I plant cucumber seeds, I better not expect raspberries. I better not expect strawberries or carrots or anything else. If I plant cucumber seeds, I'm going to get cucumbers, period. If we plant the seeds of ego, the fruit that grows from the plants from the, that sprout from those seeds is going to have the same DNA as those seeds. And so we go through life and moment by moment, and each and every moment is a harvesting. It's a harvest time. Each and every moment we are encountering the fruits of what we've sown. Every circumstance is a karmic return of that which we've done in the past. And it's a reflection of the seeds that are inside us here and now that are attracting those circumstances into our life. So the circumstances, the tangible things we experience around us are the fruits of our labors. So we have to harvest. This harvesting, we've talked about it in the past as the transformation of impressions. This is where we do not allow just circumstances to be mechanically digested by our egos, but rather consciously digested with our free consciousness, being aware, being present, not mechanical, not automatic, not reactionary, but responsive. And in the transformation of impressions, we can reap knowledge and energy and consciousness from whatever impressions we are being presented with. And those impressions can be outside of us or they can be inside of us. Our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own sensations, those are impressions. They must be transformed. They must be harvested. And that takes effort. Harvesting is not passive. Harvesting does not happen automatically. What happens if you have an apple orchard and you don't actively spend the time to harvest the apples on the apple orchard? What happens to the apples? Yeah, they eventually all fall from the tree and rot on the ground. So what have you harvested, really?
But if you harvest those apples, they can, first of all, they can be stored away and for sustenance in the winter, but they can also be worked into applesauce or apple cider, a myriad of different ways, apple pie, you know, all the other apple strudel, all those wonderful, delicious things that we make with apples. That's what is possible when we harvest. We can utilize the nutrition of what we have harvested. So the harvesting moment by moment is the transformation of impressions. But that's an active exercise. In the very real sense, like harvest time, we reap what we sow. And if we sow, if we sowed bad seeds, seeds of ego, and the fruit are poison fruit, we also need to harvest that fruit. Because if we allow that fruit to just fall down to the ground, it's going to poison the soil. It's going to poison the orchard. It's going to spread the disease. But if we harvest those apples, we can learn our lesson and we can extract goodness, knowledge. We can still utilize those apples. And maybe it's a process of boiling them down and making cider or making applesauce or whatever. Pick a metaphor that works for you. But the point is, we cannot utilize what our seeds have produced without effort, without putting energy into it. We must reap what we have sown. And how do we do that? Well, of course, mindfulness is a word that we hear all the time, self-observation. But what often gets ignored, but we mention all the time, but you very rarely hear out in the world, they talk about mindfulness, mindfulness, mindfulness. But they very rarely do they mention self-remembering. That's why in Gnosis we say self-observation and self-remembering. Remember yourself. Remember your divine mother. And that means feeling yourself present inside of your body. Not identifying with your body. Not identifying with the sensations. Not identifying with the impressions. Observing them, but feeling yourself, remembering yourself as the observer, as the experiencer of the impression. And remembering your divine mother, who's divine mother nature. And mother nature is the one who makes of the seeds that we have planted the fruit, the produce that we can reap. So when we say that giving thanks to 
Mother Nature for the harvest in the fall and the abundance of the harvest that's going to sustain us for the long winter ahead. The act of remembering our Divine Mother moment by moment in the practice of transformation of impressions, the practice of reaping what we have sown, we must remember to give thanks. To be thankful in, and in remembrance of our Divine Mother who furnished us with the circumstances, with the very impressions that we are reaping. She is giving us the stuff, the produce, the fruits of our labors that if we reap, we can utilize, we can extract from those fruits the life-giving nourishment, the gnosis, the self-evident experiential knowledge, the lessons that we need to learn. But it's interesting how the word or the expression is to give thanks. Gratitude is something that we give. Gratitude is therefore love. Gratitude flows from us. It is an exchange. It is most appropriate to comprehend this the nature of giving thanks or thanksgiving in relation to the harvest because of the fact that the harvest is all about reaping and gaining receiving of an abundance flowing to us from the earth flowing to us from our Divine Mother. So in exchange, we give thanks, we give gratitude. It's an exchange. This is why it is appropriate even in the circumstances when we are experiencing something very unpleasant circumstances which are uh, bad for lack of a better expression difficult challenging heartbreaking uh, circumstances of suffering impressions that cause us suffering But we planted those seeds. We planted the seeds of the, that suffering ourselves. And in mercy, 
and love, compassion, our Divine Mother has orchestrated the emergence from those seeds, the produce, the fruit that we are now confronted with. And if we reap that fruit, we will harvest from that fruit the lessons, the knowledge that we need to overcome and not have to go through that again. In other words, to eliminate the seeds of that bad fruit, the seeds of that suffering. This then is a gift from our Divine Mother. For us, this for us to reap, for us to harvest. Because what we harvest from it is beneficial to us. It's an exchange. Our Divine Mother has gone to great lengths, great efforts, such that the fruit that grows from the seeds that we sown, that there's potential, that there's learning there, that there's something to harvest, there's something to reap from that crop. Imagine if karma was just mechanical. Imagine if karma just, you did something bad or harmful to yourself or someone else, and then something random, bad or harmful happened to you, completely disconnected from the ego associated with the mistake that you made. So just complete random acts of harm came to you that no matter how much time you spent analyzing or meditating on it, it, there there would be no way for you to make the connection between the bad things that are happening to you and the seeds that you planted long ago. And because of that, there's no learning without that connection. There's no comprehension that, ah, okay, this is happening to me now because it's a reflection of the seed that's inside of me. This person is in my life treating me this way because they're a mirror and they're reflecting back at me the very defects or vices that I have inside of me. And look, and I'm on the receiving end now and boy, I don't like it. Boy, that's that smarts, that hurts. And now I know how I, I make others feel. Now I know how detrimental and how negative these seeds are inside of me that are producing this fruit in my life. Right? But that's managed. That's orchestrated. So those circumstances have the same DNA as the seeds inside of us. If they if they didn't, if they were just random, and there was not that connection, we could we could hardly learn anything from life. And our our even if we did spend all of our time and all of our energy in self observation and self remembering, and analyzing every waking moment in retrospection and meditation, we wouldn't be able to comprehend anything. We wouldn't be able to extract. We wouldn't be able to harvest.
so when we talk about the orchestration the the gift that is the production the the that crops up from the seeds of ego inside of us and the circumstances we face and we reap that harvest we give thanks we give thanks for our suffering we give thanks for our hardship we give thanks for our tests our trials and ordeals and not just because of the expression what doesn't kill you make you makes you stronger because there's that but also it's an opportunity for us to harvest and that all of that is being orchestrated for us by our divine mother in the same way that divine mother nature orchestrates the harvest and the planting of seeds that grow into good fruit and good vegetables and that we that we celebrate not just in north america but around the world some version of thanksgiving some celebration of the harvest time and here in north america yes the tradition was that the europeans and the natives came together and even today the tradition is that family and friends come together and they share this abundant feast they share in the harvest thanksgiving has a tremendous emphasis on the giving part and that brings us to another element or another aspect as we go through life day in and day out the celebration of thanksgiving is precisely as we described as a very strong tradition of sharing what we harvest sharing the fruit of our labor sharing the fruit of our harvest with others the learning we are a little older we are a little wiser we've learned from our mistakes we've harvested and what we learn moment by moment by moment through our experience and what we reap and those practices and elements and expressions of psychological death that we go through those moments of being or encountering the grim reaper in our lives where little bits of us die egos die slowly one by one by one as we comprehend them and as our divine mother eliminates them because we've harvested we've reaped we've reaped the lesson we've harvested the lesson that we needed from that seed so we don't need that seed anymore that seed has served its purpose but what do we do with that which we have harvested that which we have gained 
Thanksgiving is all about giving. There is no better way to thank your Divine Mother for what you have harvested than by giving it away. And the, the beauty about harvesting knowledge is that you can't give knowledge away. That's the incredible thing about knowledge is the more you give it away, the more you seem to have. There are very, very few phenomena in the universe which work this way. But knowledge, gnosis, is one of those phenomena. Now, you can't provide gnosis to someone in the strictest sense. It's not like someone can learn just by hearing it from you. But by sharing your experience with them, it expands their horizons and their consciousness to be able to have their own experience of it for themselves. They know what to look for. They know what direction to go in, for, for instance. You point them in the right direction. Your, what you have reaped, what you have harvested, you share with others in the same way that a map maker or some other explorer shares maps and stories of their adventures with others. So others can follow in their footsteps. Others can go and experience those adventures for themselves. But with a map, without a map or without some directions, many, many people can get lost and they get lost in the jungle. We can also invoke here the line from the Bible I, about um, giving a man a fish, feeding him for a day and teaching him how to fish and feeding him for a lifetime. What matters then, what's important, is not necessarily just what we've reaped, what we've harvested, but also the process, the methods that we used in order to harvest. Self-observation, the self-remembering, the thanksgiving, the transformation of impressions, and being able to share and teach others this process. There is no better way that we can show our thanksgiving to our, that there's no better way that we can give thanks to our Divine Mother than to pay it forward to use a contemporary expression, to give it away. To give to others is to give thanks to the source who gave us 
what we have to give away. And to always remember our Divine Mother in that process because she is the one that does the giving. She is the one that orchestrates the process and enacts and brings into the world of action the the divinely managed karma by which we reap what we sow. In the new age, there's this expression to have an attitude of gratitude. And it's a clever, catchy little phrase to have an attitude of gratitude. Something always sort of felt off about that expression. Clearly, we know what its intention was, or at least what those who use it, what their intention is. But an attitude is a state of mind. An attitude is a, it's an emotional state. It's a psychological state. When we think normally, when we think of someone who has an attitude, we use it in a negative sense. Well, that person has a real attitude. To, to have an attitude of gratitude is to orient oneself a certain way. And yes, again, we know what the intention is. And practically speaking, we imagine most people will follow their intuition on this one and say an attitude of gratitude means to be thankful all the time for everything. But there's there's something, if the expression attitude of gratitude feels passive for some reason. It feels like I'm, this an attitude that I have but it's entirely, it's entirely up to me. It's entirely in my court. Giving thanks an attitude of gratitude. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just us, but something feels very different about those two expressions. Because attitude of gratitude, it's, it's, it, fe it feels very much like someone who's just giving lip service. Someone who's paying lip service to something. It's like someone sitting down and saying grace mechanically before every meal. And they rhyme off, bless us, O Lord, for these gifts that we're about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. Amen. And that's how they say grace. It's just, it's very, it's very superficial. It's very, it's a veneer of gratitude. There's no real thanksgiving there. It's someone rhyming off 
mechanically a rote uh, prayer, you know, as a placeholder. So it's okay. I've said grace now. Now, now I can eat. Thanksgiving is something that you give of yourself, and practically speaking, saying grace with true thanksgiving, you are blessing the food. That energy, that vital, that positive energy, that solar crystic atoms are flowing through you, through your consciousness, your awareness, your words, the sounds, and you're blessing the food that you're about to eat. You can't bless anything by rhyming off. It doesn't matter what you rhyme off. If you're just rhyming it off mechanically, there's no, there's no vitality, there's no intensity, there's no energy behind those words. It's just a superficial veneer. It's very much like fast food itself. So attitude of gratitude feels that way to us. We might be, you know, we might be um, the only ones <laughs> who feel this way. But like so many things in the new age, it just sounds like it's just another catchphrase. It's just another um, clever little slogan that they have that, for us at least, it it doesn't embody the voluptuousness and the depth of what giving thanks means to us of actually giving of ourselves to others that's that sacrifice and service to others that's not in attitude of gratitude that's not there it just isn't attitude is something that's yours that involves you and it's how you face the world. It's, it's, your, it's you being a sponge and how you receive things. And that's fine. But Thanksgiving is an exchange. An attitude, I suppose you can say, but attitude does have that what you give off, like what you radiate, what you exude. Because people with an attitude, like a toxic attitude, like narcissists and whatever, when you say, oh, someone has a real attitude, they, they reek, they give off this negative energy. And that's something they give, right? But that negative energy is something they radiate. It's something that just sort of surrounds them, right? Because they're so narcissistic, they're so self-absorbed that that... that that selfish self-interest directed in towards themselves causes this, this fusion reaction of egoism inside of them. And then they radiate out this, this field of narcissism. This this vampiric field. They're, they're an energy, they're like energy vampires. Energy vampires don't actually have to target you to be an energy vampire. You know them. Sometimes they just enter into the room and they suck the life out of the room. They just have this ability. But that's because they've created this negative vortex around them. And positive energy just starts getting sucked into it. So attitude of gratitude for us, at least, has this connotation. It has this, there's a feeling about it 
there's an energy about it that feels a certain way. And to us, that's how it feels. Attitude of gratitude is I'm going through life and I'm absorbing everything around me. And yeah, I'm grateful for everything that I absorb. And that's like, that's like a leech paying lip service to the person whose blood they're sucking. Thanksgiving has a very different energy about it. That's why you won't hear us say, have an attitude of gratitude. No. We'll say, give thanks. Give thanks. And that's through service and sacrifice. Give what you have learned. If you've reaped it, if you've harvested, remember, that's one of the things that happens in a harvest. The best fruit, the best produce, the best vegetables, the, the farmer saves those seeds. He saves the seeds from the best fruit, the hardiest from this, this harvest. He saves those seeds to plant next year's harvest best seeds get planted and get sown and so by giving thanks and by giving away that which you have harvested putting that back into the soil planting seeds with others and that's another beautiful metaphor which we we don't always practice very well because it's hard it's hard to practice it's how, how's that expression goes difficult to wait easy to learn difficult to master planting seeds is one of those phenomena and by planting seeds we're referring of course to to dealing with individuals and how we plant seeds with them because as we know we will encounter many many people in our life who uh, suffer a great deal of cognitive dissonance and they have thick armor and they have very strong defensive mechanisms and they will react and reject anything that challenges their current beliefs and conditioning. And it's not our place to want to break down their armor or force ideas onto them or force them. To, you know, nobody can make anybody else awaken. Nobody should want to force anything upon anybody else. Free will is a law, is an absolute law of the universe, and we should not want to violate that. But planting a seed with someone is a way of giving thanks it's paying forward that which we have harvested is something that we know and we know can help this individual but let's say they're not willing to accept our gift of a whole pumpkin but maybe they will allow us or afford us an opportunity to plant a seed with them. And we have faith that in time, that seed will grow and that seed will bear fruit for them in their own time, in their own way. We put our faith and trust in that. Now, it might not. That's a risk we take. But remember that if somebody doesn't want to accept the pumpkin from you, there's no way for you to force a pumpkin onto them. 
It just won't happen, and nor should you want to. And we know that in our own case, we are often we've we've been guilty of of trying to shove produce in people's hands or shove things down people's mouths, and it never ends well. We've learned the hard way that that's not helping anybody. That's not giving thanks. That's that's something else entirely. So this whole discussion, this whole um, space around these terms and this terminology, reaping what you sow, planting seeds, thanksgiving, the harvest, and reaping, and all of that entails. They say that words have power and words have meaning and words are magical and that's why we we take the words seriously benjamin has uh, jumped in here with a uh, a lengthy comment so let's read this benjamin says faith receives love gives no one will be able to receive without faith no one will be able to give without love because of this in order that we may indeed receive we believe and in order that we may love we give since if one gives without love he has no profit from what he has given the gospel of philip that's why we don't give to those that do not believe It's sort of self-explanatory, but um, it's true. Faith, but faith is knowledge. Faith is knowing. And so, but that's, that's right. Faith, to know means to exactly as uh, required that we have to be able to receive and if we're not willing to receive then we're not able to know and if we're not willing to receive then we can't receive love and that's one of the tr- great tragedies that's explored in literature and in in um, art in general is unrequited love uh, that's what unrequited love means as someone who is not reciprocal does not receive the love of someone else and that's really another way of saying cognitive dissonance because if what you're giving, you're giving with love, and someone is unwilling to receive it, well, then it is what it is. And Azil says, as Azil says, we give to those whom uh, who suffer. By the way, because of the uh, the audio snafu at the beginning, we forgot to share the link, but we've shared it now, and here it is on screen. Um, you're welcome to jump in. Today's going to be a little bit of a shorter lecture, so we might as well turn it into a discussion. Um, We give to those who suffer. They're suffering, and we want to try and alleviate their suffering somehow. Either 
show them how they can reap and harvest something positive out of their suffering. Or we try to immediately alleviate their suffering. For example, something as simple as giving somebody an anesthetic just out of out of mercy, mercy, out of compassion, somebody's in terrible pain. And we give them some, we administer, we administer something that will ease their pain, that will ease their suffering. But we can also instruct them. So again, administer, instruct, give. All of this denotes some form of of expression of love a giving of love and love is something that you give and that's why giving thanks is giving love again it's an exchange and if we receive anything that we receive it's good and proper to pay homage to to show gratitude to give thanks you see it's it's the reciprocal, right? It's the exchange. It's the faith and the love, as Benjamin described from the Gospel of Philip. To receive from the Divine Mother, to reap, to harvest, means to have have faith. We have faith because we know. And how do we know? We have intimate knowledge of. And what is intimate knowledge of? The union of reception and expression the divine mother's love expressed through some impressions or some circumstance and we reap from that expression of love knowledge but that but that happens because we receive and how we transform and utilize that experience and it's in that reception of that expression that's tantra That's Tantra. To receive what is given. That's Tantra. And that's faith. That Because that is how knowledge is created. Because if you do not consciously receive and process and utilize and extract from that impression, from that expression, then you don't know. So giving thanks is the reciprocal exchange in exchange for that which you have received that gives you faith, true faith, real faith, which is knowledge, not belief, but knowledge. So we would take, we would take, um, exception the way that uh, some of this passage was translated um, in order that we may indeed receive we believe and in order that we may love we can... so um, that word believe is mistranslated because no one who wrote any Gnostic Gospels would have used the, the word believe it's probably used the word faith um, but it's getting mistranslated because the people who translates 
the translate the Bible into English, uh, they're not Gnostics. So they just they just use a thesaurus and they just assume that believe is you know as good as anywhere. But believe is not useful. It's not practical for us as Gnostics. Belief is illusion. We've we've said before the word the true meaning of the word faith is not belief. To be faithful, you cannot be faithful to your spouse by believing that you are faithful. Um, and in the same way that to be faithful to our spouse, to our mortal beloved, is to be faithful to our immortal beloved. And that is to know them intimately. And to know something intimately, you must receive its expression, its gifts. So to know yourself means to receive the gifts of your Divine Mother. And that includes all of our tests, trials, and ordeals and all of the circumstances, all of the stuff that we encounter in life that we have to reap, that we have to harvest, that takes labor, takes effort on our behalf in order, or in order to do so. But that is the process and that exchange. So we're going to add Azazel here. Hello, Azazel. Yeah, hello. I'm just turning the sound on. Uh, so uh, as we mentioned, this is going to be a short, shorter, shorter live stream today. So, but uh, we just thought it's Thanksgiving here in Canada. And it was just an opportunity for us to um, unpack some of this a little bit. From, from our perspective, from an esoteric perspective, and how, practically speaking, we have this approach to recognize that, that this mutual exchange and that, that in giving thanks, and remember, we always... This is very, very important to us, and we're on the path of the Bodhisattva, so that's... For us, there's nothing else. There's only this. There's only giving, right? <laughs> Which, yeah, is, I think it's still working now. Um, so can you hear? So can you hear? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, we we made a, a video not too long ago talking about um, selfish spirituality, for example. Yeah. And it's it's um, Thanksgiving has to be the first step. Because if someone is not even able to properly express gratitude to their own Divine Mother, how, how can they, uh, you know, give of themselves service and sacrifice to others? It's, yeah, it it's seems impossible. To, it seems to me a prerequisite. Yeah. But... There's lots of people who do lots of things. They do lots of charity work, volunteer work. There's lots of people who do a lot of things. 
but they do it for different reasons. Yeah. So, um, but it's interesting because, um, um, well, anyway, <laughs> you popped on. Did you want to have something else to share? <laughs> Not really. I just take <laughs> things as they come. All right. Um, well, there's something that we can be thankful for, and that is the fact that um, our father is at home now. Yeah. Uh, he had a, uh, let's say, a, almost a near miraculous recovery. Uh, the doctors okay. were the doctors were fiddling around with medications and this and that, and then finally they hit on a they hit on a the combination of certain things, and then a 24 hour period, my dad went like. 80% improvement in like in a 24 hour period. Yeah. And so they said that uh, next time, next time he goes to hospital and there will be a next time because he has congestive heart failure and it's a, um, it's a, it's a terminal condition. It's, 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 he's, his lungs and his heart slowly fill up with fluid. Yeah. And so, um, but they, the doctor said next time, he comes in the hospital we know right away what the combination is to put him on and so hopefully we, we won't we won't have to go through this this uh this period of of um of uh extended hospital investigations stay and, and yeah 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 because it's 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 such a because what, what they have to they have to drain the water basically right but what but they can't drain you can't drain the water from the body all you can do is stimulate the kidneys and the bladder to go into yeah. overdrive right <laughs> yeah that is true so. so 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 what is the what is the right combination to do that that's 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 what they finally kind of they seem to nail and then the kidney and the and the bladder and everything just got rid of everything because it's a terrible thing it's essentially when that happens right congestive heart failure what what that means is you're essentially drowning in yourself yeah and suffocating yeah. yeah it's essentially what it is and so uh it's it's a terrible i mean it's a terrible thing to watch someone going through right i mean it's uh yeah. it's bad enough to watch someone drown in a swimming pool right or or, or an ocean or whatever but then yeah. but, but imagine but imagine someone like slowly drowning in a hospital bed yeah it's um, terrible um i was actually born with um um one kind of heart failure where the um uh well well there was a large hole between the chambers so oh. um they had to basically fix up that hole because otherwise i would basically suffocate and die and that was when that you you were born with that yeah i was born with that that's a, i think they refer to that in english they would call that a con, um, congenitive heart defect yeah exactly where one part of the blood <clears throat> system or um so to say is filled with oxygen and the other part is 
filled with well consumed oxygen and okay. if there's a if it's too large of a mix-up with between those two uh you basically suffocate right you turn right. blue and yeah basically die right yeah 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 because the uh the wrong type of blood is gets recirculated through the, through the body. yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. De deoxygenated blood yeah yeah so um well let's look there's some things that allopathic healthcare is good for yeah I mean, these are the types of things that allopathic healthcare, uh western medicine in other words is good at yeah uh, they're, they're good and at dealing with emergency situations like because you can't take an herb to fix congenitive heart well, exactly right? and it they're was not, kind of a miracle too because <sighs> i i was born at 92 and that kind of surgery was quite new to the field mm. uh, so if i had been born like 10 years earlier or even two years earlier i probably wouldn't have made it today so mm. that's kind of interesting i think mm -hmm. yeah so so something something to give thanks for yeah exactly exactly something to be thankful for it's good to be thankful for it's good to it's good to to take moments out of our life moment by moment okay and again mm. now that we've set our peace against attitude of gratitude if if we can't remember anything else then remember that 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 that, that everything that comes your way be it so-called good or so-called bad that there's something in it for us and that we can receive it it's a little bit better than saying allowing yeah. Right? Allow everything, you know, be, you know, allowing, allowing. So um, be grateful and uh, be grateful for these, the tests and trials and ordeals. And even though it's difficult to do, it is difficult to do. Yeah. I mean, look, we, we, we speak from experience. It's very, very hard to be grateful for your depression yeah it's very hard because the nature of that uh the nature of depression is that you can barely muster up enough energy to get out of bed yeah exactly. <laughs> let, let alone let alone be grateful like being grateful takes energy yeah it's it's this is this is an action this is an active effort that we make it's 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 not automatic. It's not it, even in, if you're having a great day, if you're having a great week and some, we have yeah. days like that. We have weeks like that. We jump out of bed and we take on the world and we have, um, we have all of this, uh, energy. And so I apologize for the phone going off. You know, I have a, I, my phone has a do not disturb mode. Mm -hmm. My phone is on do not disturb mode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just goes to show you how uh, how uh, useful the do not disturb phone mode is on my phone. Um, yeah. So, so sometimes we feel like being grateful comes automatically because sometimes we we ha we are just are in that mood. We have this tremendous energy. Yeah. We just have that, you know. But other times, 
we know that if we're going through a difficult period or depressed or or, or low energy or whatever you know having gratitude for that it's very 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 hard to muster yeah. up that uh, that energy and we mustn't be too hard on ourselves and we don't have to beat ourselves up over any of this no exactly because that's another trick of the ego the ego is very good at that um you know if uh we know that from our own experience very well i mean that's something that we were notoriously um uh bad at it beating ourselves up yeah um but you know many gnostics start out that way we're very yeah, hard on ourselves um even long before we become gnostics in fact it's just this it's just because we have that intuition that we need to be working on ourselves that there's this higher better version of us yeah <laughs> and the and the ego says "Ooh, yeah okay i can do that. <laughs> yeah you must be a prophet now right <laughs> uh or well, just the ego says oh you have an intuition that you're you're not as good as you should be okay mm. and then the ego just just starts beating beating our beating yourself up yeah exactly beating yourself down saying okay i can work with that intuition that's what's so dangerous yeah about the ego and how it's when it's filtering right the, the mind right the mind and the emotions started filtering our intuition yeah and then again we instead of instead of having gratitude and and being thankful for having that knowledge or or having that thing we we turn around and we um we punish ourselves which is an interesting way when you look at what benjamin this quote from the gospel of philip was 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 really good because yeah. of the way that the way that associates faith with receiving and love with giving and uh receiving intuition that knowledge that's faith now faith should include faith in ourself the knowledge that we receive that there's a higher better version of ourselves lurking somewhere in the distant future or somewhere deep inside of us right our, yeah. our true self that's but that should give us faith and drawing us nearer to that true self our innermost being and drawing yeah. or pulling us forward into the future to that future future self and that's and that's faith but instead our ego takes that and twists it into an opportunity to punish ourselves not to give thanks but to give punishment to shame to give to to impose shame upon ourselves and uh that's yeah that's very tricky yeah tricky nasty insidious yeah it's and it is insidious because many 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 people i mean look every single person on the planet who is suffering with addiction it, it's because of that yeah it is 
It's because no matter what happens to them in their life, their default is self-loathing. And self-loathing has, and that, and the self-destructive behavior of addiction must must come bundled together with uh, with beating yourself up. Yeah. Because how? I mean, beating yourself up psychologically is one thing, but you do it so often, so many times, on such rep- that that you start hating yourself. Yeah. And then it's not enough to hate yourself. It's not enough to have the self-loathing. Now you have to poison yourself on top of it. Yeah. And that and it's a double-edged sword because you're really taking that poison to um as a bomb, right? As an anesthetic. Yeah, exactly. So but you're poisoning yourself in the process. Yeah. And you hate yourself for it. It's this very, very, very horrible, insidious, and yeah. really, it has a really bad taste. And um, it really, that's Thanksgiving gratitude uh, is one of the twelve steps. Yeah, that's why it's one of the twelve steps, and why why the uh, the twelve steps has to be related to spirituality. If you if there's no 12 step program that works that has no uh, higher self or divine aspect to it, because the thanksgiving has to be there, the gratitude has to be there. Well, who, who are you going to be grateful to, to if not a higher power, your higher self, God, whatever, some divinity? It, if that's not there, if that's not present, then you have no no one to be grateful to. You have no one to give thanks to. And if you cannot give thanks, then you cannot show love. And if you cannot show love, you cannot be love. Exactly. It's just something that's worthwhile uh, thinking about because a lot of people, they don't really understand the nature of love. Love is severity and mercy. Those are active, exactly as that um, as uh, Benjamin shared in that from the Gospel of Philip. Yeah. It's an action. Love is not passive. There is no such, there is no passive love. It no, is exactly. Active, yeah. It is the active force. Yeah, exactly. And when we transmute, that only gets empowered. It gets more intense in a way because we see more and we face more of these <laughs> atrocities more directly, so to say. And that can be really frightening and very horrible indeed. And Thanksgiving, we bring it back, we bring it back to this because yeah. um, giving thanks is relatively easy. If, well, it's relatively easy to give thanks to something when you receive that you like. Yeah. But one of the things about Thanksgiving is there is there's a humility that comes with it. And you are giving of yourself. And so what Thanksgiving helps to 
orient ourselves to and helps develop the muscles for showing love and expressing love. And it's an interesting, it, what you're really expressing is humility. Because it's not, you're not expressing mercy and you're not expressing severity by giving thanks. But you're giving of yourself. And it's that sacrifice. You're putting yourself in the back seat. And you're, you're putting the gift that you receive from the other above yourself as more important, that you're giving thanks to it. Yeah. So this, this act of humiliation is self-sacrifice, is self-sacrificial. And that act of sacrificing oneself for others is, is the entire nature of giving. That's, that's right. We give of ourselves. We can only give what we have. Yeah. Somewhere in all of this is a sort of metaphysical, scientific apparatus now that's not the right word because it's not mechanical it's conscious yeah but there's it's a phenomenon and it's the exchange the mutual exchange of energy and in their thanksgiving and practicing that moment by moment in our life attunes and orients ourselves correctly to the world and here we return again to attitude of gratitude because attitude has another meaning yeah attitude in relation to uh airplanes attitude and spaceships and, and stuff attitude refers to orientation in other words direction so by practicing thanksgiving moment by moment we do attune ourselves we do adjust ourselves we orient ourselves a certain way in the world that is indeed an attitude. So we can come full circle on this word, attitude of gratitude, and recognize it not just as a frame of mind, not just as of, okay, I'm going to be a sponge and I'm going to be thankful for everything I absorb, but rather an orientation in the world. And if we really meditate on the nature of thanksgiving and as it's sacrificial and it is giving and it is humiliating it is an act of humiliation 
It's not kicking ourselves. It's not beating ourselves up. On the contrary, it's raising somebody else up. Putting someone else in some, what somebody has given us is more important to us than our, than our own self. And we are giving thanks, gratitude. That's an orientation. An orientation of humility, humility, an orientation of self-sacrifice, an orientation of giving. All of that, if we understand and comprehend as this beautiful cloud, this space of love, around this word attitude, that it's not just a mental attitude, it's it's something deeper. It's an orientation with the world that, that emanates from our being. It is a humiliation of ourselves. It is a self-sacrifice for others and, and, and all the gifts and the boons and the blessings and the trials and the tests and the ordeals. It's putting ourselves in our place and putting our divine mother and putting others, all those who have given us this beautiful harvest that we reap. And we put ourselves in our proper place. All of that, moment by moment, you can remember and you can carry with you as your attitude of gratitude then God bless you and more power to you. Use that expression, attitude of gratitude, because all of that is in there. Yeah. Here's one more thing since we're talking about language. Have you ever wondered that the word grateful means to be full of greatness. Uh, no, actually not. Great, full. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean full of grated cheese. <laughs> <laughs> no. It doesn't, that's not what it means, even though it's spelled that way. It doesn't mean <laughs> full of uh, sewer grates, even though it's spelled that way. It's, it's to be, to be grateful means to be full of greatness, to receive greatness, right? To be faithful, to be full of faith, to be full of knowledge, to be grateful is to be full of greatness, to receive, right? To receive with thanks is to be grateful. Yeah. But we give thanks. So the greatness that we receive, the greatness that we are now full of, we can give to others. We can sacrifice and give to others. And we are full of greatness, but we ourselves are humbled. We are humbled by the greatness that we are filled with. And we orient ourselves that way. That's our attitude of gratitude. So that's our orientation. We, hum we humble ourselves 
in the face of this greatness that we are full of, thanks to our Divine Mother and the gifts that she bestows upon us, which are there for us to reap this bounty, this harvest that we reap, that we harvest the knowledge, the gnosis, which after all, that is what makes someone great. That is true. That is what fills someone up with that which is great. It's all connect. Who would have thought in these few little words, but this is the power the, of, of words which are pregnant with meaning. And they, they're no longer just symbols on a page. Now, if you meditate on this, you allow that power to saturate, to permeate, and to fill you up. And all of a sudden, you can, you can, you can feel the energy around you. Just meditating on those words and, and, and visualizing and feeling and allow the vibrations, the energies that are in those words to emanate from you. And you become this, this ball of energy, this ball of, of, of love. Yeah. Simply by allowing and working with those words and allowing them to work in you and through you, to embody them. To allow those words to become to orient you to become oriented or reoriented with those words you, yeah. you become imbued with the energy and the power of those words yeah that is exactly how we work with language so This Thanksgiving holiday, or this practice of Thanksgiving in the harvest in the autumn, and uh, for the Americans, it'll be coming up in November. We say, you know, the, the word of God, the living, breathing word of God is all around us, and it's within us. To have the eyes to hear and the ears to hear it, is simply to orient ourselves in a way that we are receptive, truly receptive to all that those words have to give, the light and the love and the truth that emanates from them in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And that word, that emanation, that sound, that mantra vibrated the Prakriti into the whole of the known universe. In the same way, when we receive words, be they challenging, provocative, encouraging, whatever. We can receive those words and transform those impressions, reap 
but we need to reap harvest what we need to harvest in the transformation of those impressions. Yeah. But when we speak words, we are giving thanks for a harvest. We are giving, let us remember what it is that is flowing through us, through these words of ours. We live in a world, especially online and everything else, where, where people use words um, in a very haphazard, unconscious sort of way. And in the context of what we've been talking about now for just shy of two hours, We've essentially been talking about, give or take, four or five words. Thanksgiving, reaping, sowing, <laughs> and uh, gratitude. And maybe, you know, if you want to, and a few and a few others. But we've been talking for two hours on this these handfuls of words. And we haven't even... We, haven't even begun to dig out the thesaurus or the dictionary and look at all the other potential other meanings that are that we haven't discussed yeah exactly so uh words are like ammunition they're like bullets they seem very small and insignificant but we all know how bullets act in the world they have tremendous force and a tremendous power behind them yeah and so too do our words and we should we should try and do our best to be cognizant of that also listen to the words that we say and listen to the words that we are uh, writing to others online in responses to comments and et cetera, et cetera, Facebook or Instagram or what have you. And recognize that we are dealing with loaded weapons here. It doesn't mean that we have to be walking on eggshells. That's not our intention to, uh, to, to get that across, that we have to be afraid of what afraid of saying the wrong thing or anything like that no but on the other hand <clears throat> let us remember that 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 under uh, that other individual if they are going to reap something of value from what we are giving them we may we may want to pay more attention, be a little bit more cognizant of the words that we are using and how we are using them. Yeah. And one of the things that will help orient us in the right way, give us the right attitude, 
is to remember that we're just planting a seed. Just plant a seed. And then that way, because a seed has tremendous power and potential, it's, it's concentrated in a very unassuming form. A seed is very non-threatening. A seed is not a bullet. And yet, from a seed can grow a giant sequoia, a giant redwood of California, or an enormous oak tree, or one of those ancient willows, or pick your favorite tree, your ancient thousand-year-old tree that's, you know, has a trunk that's five meters across. Maybe five meters is a bit much, but but the giant sequoias are enormous. Like the, the, the giant California redwoods, they're just monstrous. So, and it grew from a tiny little thing, tiny little seed. But that seed is unassuming. It's unthreatening. It doesn't have to be, it's, it's not very imposing. And seeds come from the harvest. Seeds are that which we reaped. So let us sow the seeds that we have harvested, that we have reaped. So we reap what we sow, what we reap, what we sow, what we reap, what we sow. And this is a beautiful, positive feedback loop. So long as we remain grateful, full of greatness as we do this and allow the greatness inside of us to work through us in this process. Yeah, exactly. So it's good to basically reflect on what we type or what we say by basically reflecting upon the words that we are about to say, because they have a lot of power, to say the least. Because otherwise we may not realize that we have poisoned ourselves before we in turn poison others. And we might realize that later as a seed turns into a flower or whatever that is poisonous. And it reeks, as you said, and this is a process that can be done through prayer or certain rituals but it it's not to be messed around with the aspect of humility that comes with uh giving thanks helps um and the aspect of serving and service and sharing like in the way that if when someone comes over to your house to share a Thanksgiving dinner and you're sharing food with them, um, you're not doing that in a vindictive or arrogant or uh, obnoxious way. You, you are sharing with an open heart and with all of your love, you're, you're sharing a meal, you're breaking bread with someone. Now, having said that, Many, many, many people will take it the wrong way. 
Yeah. And we must be prepared for that. So this is where, you know, do not cast pearls before swine come in. And also don't overstay your welcome. If someone is clearly not receptive, you don't have to be angry. You don't have to be upset. You don't have to take it personally. You say, you know what? Go in peace. And it usually doesn't take too long for you to realize how unreceptive they are. But then again, you might be tempted to walk away. But if your intuition tells you, you know, don't give up on this person just yet. Always follow your intuition. Yeah. Just remember that you're walking on eggshells now and you can't push. Just just focus on planting seed. Just focus on offering them. Offering them mashed potatoes, offering them pumpkin pie, offering them uh, uh, turkey, offering them gravy. But if they decline and decline and decline and decline and decline, then you say, you know, this person's not hungry. Yeah. This, person, this person didn't come here to eat. And so I'm going to stop offering them food. It's just, it's just how it is. You can't keep, if someone doesn't have an appetite, yeah. there's no point in, in, there's no point in offering them uh, uh, stuff. Benjamin says, is the reason why a lot of people suffer from the ego a lot these times because humanity is, is sowing bad seeds and by the laws of karma, we have to reap them all eventually. For example, today's technology, like the internet and social media, allows for the proliferation of works of the ego mind instead of the spirit. Thank you for your explanation earlier about the grim reaper reaping the fruits of the egoic self. Um, why a lot of people suffer from ego is because of the seeds that they sowed those seeds are inside of them and what's what those seeds are producing are bad fruit and as you point out that bad fruit is on the internet and social media and it's it's what people are harvesting these days and what they're selling and what they're throwing at each other online is bad fruit is rotten fruit and, and you remember in those movies it's a it's a I don't know if this ever actually happened, to be honest with you. But you know that in movies and in cartoons and stuff, people always seem to have brought rotten fruits and vegetables with them to the theater. And then if something they don't like what's happening on stage, they would throw rot rotten fruit and vegetables at the actors. I don't know if that ever actually took place. It might have. It might have been part of the spectacle and fun of theater because remember in ancient times and in old times the theater was like one of the lowest forms of entertainment it was for the commoners common people and and you know as much as anything else right i think they enjoyed throwing things at the actors uh i think that was part of the spectacle right it's part of the fun it's part of the entertainment of the theater so maybe it's maybe it is based in reality but the point is it's a very good analogy to 
what uh, Benjamin is saying here is that the fruits that everybody have that they're carrying around with them is all rotten. And what, you know, you, you can't serve that to anybody. You would never offer somebody a rotten tomato or a rotten apple. So what do you do? You throw it at them. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because nobody's going to receive that. Nobody's going to accept a rotten apple from you. Right? So, so what else can you use it for? Well, you can use it to entertain yourself. You can make a food fight. You can make a big spectacle out of it, which is a lot of what happens on social media. And we all know this. And there's even those memes like Michael Jackson eating popcorn in the theater. And the meme says, I just came here to read the comments. <laughs> because a lot of people, they just, all they do is they, they go on social media and all they do is they want to, they want to watch drama in the comment section. And they, they enjoy the funny, sarcastic, biting, uh, um, uh, insulting comments and exchanges that people have with each other. In other words, some people go to the theater to watch the play. Some people go to the theater hoping the play is going to be terrible so they can throw their rotten fruit. And I bet you, I bet you, there was a good portion who went to the theater they weren't interested in the play. They went to watch other people throwing fruit. <laughs> yeah. It takes all kinds. It takes all kinds. Um, but yeah, in, uh, remember that the the ego is a self. It's a it's a it's a feedback loop. And it's a self-fulfilling, self-feeding entity, right? It's like the it's it grows and it grows and it grows and it overpowers and overpowers and overpowers. So the more the more seeds of ego we sow, the more we will reap. And the more of that we reap of that bad fruit, but the more the ego reaps it, the more seeds it gains, and then it has bigger and it spreads and it's. It's just like any fungus or virus or, or, or not virus, but fungus or bacteria or or uh, any other parasitic colony, right? It just it just wants to grow and spread its uh, malignance. Uh, Benjamin followed this up by asking or uh, saying, "Winter is the world; summer is the other eternal realm. Uh, let us sow in the world to reap in summer, and for this reason, we should not pray in winter." That's also from the Gospel of Philip. Let us sow in the world to reap in summer. And for this reason, we should not pray in winter. Hmm. The idea here is that we reap what we sow in the other world, in the afterlife, our our life, our actions in life, in winter, we will reap in summer. And he said, for this reason, uh, let us sow in the world to reap in summer. And for this reason, we should not pray in winter. What Philip means by this is that actions speak louder than words. And in the winter, we should be sowing not praying. We should be acting. 
And because prayer is good and prayer is helpful to us, but suffering and sacrifice for others is better, is more important. It's It'll get us much further because sowing seeds will give up, get us much further in life than, you know, working hard in the field and sowing seeds in the field will give you a better harvest than praying for a good harvest. This is the essence of this passage from the Gospel of Philip. If that makes any sense. Philip is not saying that we shouldn't pray. It says, it's, when it's time to sow, sow. Don't pray for a good harvest. You can't get a harvest if you don't sow the seeds. That's what Philip is saying, essentially. And he's, re he's relating uh, sowing the seeds in our life to the what we reap in the afterlife. So our karmic reward after following our death, following our passing. Okay. Um, does anybody else have any? Oh, and uh, Moon said uh, sharing blessings. There's a whole bunch of stuff here at the beginning that was no sound and uh... okay. Does anybody else have any uh, comments or questions or anything to share? Because we think we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. And um, we're finally on season eight, by the way, of Game of Thrones. Oh. It's, taken us, it's taken us a while. But uh, hopefully, if all things go well, um, we'll be wrapped up by next Sunday. And next Sunday, uh, we'll be... Um, uh, next Sunday, we'll, our, uh, our topic will be... Um, <laughs> About the mother of dragons. Every time I come on, someone else follows. <laughs> yeah, well, it's how it is. People are penguins. Yeah. You know, you notice that people are yeah. penguins. But Serena's not saying anything. She's there, but she's not saying anything. Uh, yeah. That's because her microphone is off. Um, uh, hi, hi. Yeah. Hello, Serena. Hi, Serena. Last minute. Yes. Okay. No. Okay. Oh, there she is. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Okay. There. I'm saying. No, no, I. Okay, you know what? Um, Serena, do you have headphones? I have them somewhere. I, I oh, turn the volume me. down just a little bit because we're getting yeah. feedback. Okay, okay, sorry. Uh, yes, I wanted to ask uh, a last question on behalf sure. of the people who are let's say very depressed or vulnerable or traumatized and mm -hmm. can't act from that place, but keep receiving help, receiving help, receiving help. Like society, if you are in a point, you're not gonna be there from the first point. But it's, uh, in, uh, there comes a moment where you realize that society can help you as a depressed person, that friends can, you know, at least show support and yeah indeed there's a point where you feel that well i i'm getting all this support but i still can't give the things back yet so what would would your advice be for this transition of someone 
still being in a phase where they still have to keep receiving like like a child like keep receiving and keep receiving and and you don't know when is the time to give something back that is good because you don't know yet if the transformation took place so yeah i i want to ask a bit about this process but you you can answer in a after or i don't know i, I if you i don't know as you feel um very simply the if you're speaking to someone who if you're talking about someone who's in a uh, suffering from depression um we can speak from that experience and there is no point in you can there's no point in trying to force um to be have an orientation of uh thanksgiving to, to have an attitude of gratitude or anything like that and try to like give back or anything there's no point in trying to force it because what depression is is uh deep-seated uh subconscious anger it's rage and when you are in a state of rage when you're in a state of anger you can't do anything else i mean just imagine like just when you're angry can you be grateful when you're angry can you be self-sacrificing when you're angry like it's very very difficult all of your energy everything you're, you're being possessed by anger in that moment and that's what depression is and you're being and all that energy is being sucked out of you someone who's traumatized uh if they are traumatized in the sense of of just recently then their entire nervous system and everything is in shock and they have all sorts of issues that they're dealing with if you're if they are so-called traumatized uh in the sense of they are reliving a trauma that happened a long time ago or they're living in a they've convinced themselves that they are the way they are because of some trauma then they're living in a constant state of the victim mentality they're constantly victimizing themselves and that's a that's a narcissistic uh self um uh self-sabotaging sort of way but it's a narcissistic um ego-driven attitude as well so in all of these states or in, in anxiety is another one anxiety is deep-seated subconscious fear anxiety is very very similar to depression in that way because it's because we can't we can't put our finger on it because it's but what the difference between um anxiety and depression is that anxiety has a a net um it's a net agitation it's a net agitation it filters up and we get nervous energy in our anxiety whereas depression the energy gets sucked out of us yeah. so anxiety it's fear and it's agitating our, our nerves and our nervous system and and but it's this it's a malaise but it's this it's a malaise of fear and depression is a malaise that's that's we're getting the life sucked out of us the energy sucked out of us 
all of this, under all of these circumstances, you might have people around you that are giving to you, that are trying to help you with doing all these things for you. And there's a real risk of setting yourself down a path of guilt and shame if you try to force yourself into an attitude of, of gratitude. If you try to force yourself into thanksgiving because you won't be able to do it. And what you won't be able to do it, and then your ego will say, aha, you see what, what a bad person you are? You see how ungrateful you are? Terrible, yeah. You're a terrible vampire. And you're leeching off all these people. You're taking advantage of them. And you, and you cannot underestimate the, the, the egos. The egos are opportunists. They're like all predators, right? All predators in the wild. What do they attack first? The weak, the very young, and the very old, and the sick. This is the first thing that any predator in the wild goes for. It's the way mechanical nature is designed. And egos work for mechanical nature. They abide by the laws of mechanical nature. So the false eyes, right? Sorry? The false eyes, like the when you say I, but it's not actually the self. Like right, right, right. Well, exactly. But the thing is, is that if you give them an opportunity, if to sh if you show them weakness, they will exploit it. So if you try to force yourself out of some sense of self righteousness, which by the way, that's also an ego, right? Because your ego will will take advantage of all of this and will will divide and conquer. Just like uh, Gollum and Smeagol. And, you know, Smeagol's weak, Gollum comes in for the kill, right? And then Gollum props Smeagol up or pushes Smeagol down. He manipulates Smeagol. And Smeagol gives him openings and, and Gollum exploits it. This is exactly how the ego, good cop, bad cops us all the time. So the self-righteous idea of saying, oh my God, I have to be thankful for all these people doing all these things is the flip side of that. That's self-righteousness, which by the way, that's pride. The ego will then good cop, bad cop us. And on the other side, it'll, it'll have the flip side of that, which is shame and guilt and saying, oh, you're such a bad person. You can't muster up enough energy to be thankful. So you see that self-righteous thing of I better be thankful is exactly the same ego as, oh my God, you're a terrible person. You're, you're not grateful. It's the same ego playing two opposite sides of the exact same thing, which is exploiting this, this notion that we have to be thankful. If it you is. can't be thankful, just relax, observe it, observe that, observe the fact that you can't be thankful. No one expects, let, let, let's put it another way, very, very practical way, okay? No one expects philanthropy from the impoverished man living in the street. Yeah. Right? So if you are an impoverished person living in the street, don't expect 
you to be to be a great philanthropist. We have to know. Uh, there's that Kenny uh, Kenny Rogers song. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. You never count your money when sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. He's talking about poker and gambling, of course. The song is called The Gambler. But we have to be practical. We have to know ourselves. And we have to know that if we're in hell, if we're in hell, and we're on the receiving end of uh, the activity of demons, okay? Sure, there may be others around us who are trying to help us. But at the same time, we're, but that, that doesn't mean that we're not in hell. <laughs> we should not impose on us, on ourselves, uh, you know, because, or if we find ourselves doing that, we have to observe that and recognize. Um, So uh, again, this is a kind of beating beating yourself up. This is a kind of um, of um, uh, self abuse, a kind of psychological uh, manipulation, a psychological warfare of the ego kicking us when we're down and judging us and shaming us when we're when we're already weak and we're already trying to fight off whether it's depression or it's anxiety or trauma or whatever it is we're dealing with of course the eagles are going to come in for the kill and they're going to add insult to injury and that's really what we're talking about here is is uh this idea that um you know we can't be grateful because i said you know it's very 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 hard to be grateful when you're depressed but having said all that It is possible. After it is all. possible. Yeah. But, but, it's, yeah. but it's it's not we have to be charitable with ourselves. And so we say, okay, I'm not gonna be jumping up and down for joy. I'm not gonna be like on my knees, like you know, praying with all my heart and all my soul. Thank you so much for this depression. Oh my god, I'm so I'm so blessed. Like that's not gonna happen. <laughs> and, and, and you shouldn't want it or shouldn't need it to happen. Nobody expects that of you. It's just the recognition and the awareness saying, I'm in hell and I know that I'm in hell. And I'm going to pay attention and observe mm. myself in the state. And I'm grateful for the ability to do that that I'm still aware that I'm still conscious and that I'm aware that I'm in hell, knowing that I'm in hell because many, 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 many people are in hell and don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I right? mean, so again, that self-observation and self-remembering that little bit of separation and that, and then remembering your divine mother and putting yourself in that in your place is is enough is enough nobody okay now mark this down okay <laughs> even if you read the book of the dead right tibetan or the tibetan book of the dead yeah. or egyptian book of the dead 
when Anubis brings out the scales to weigh your heart, okay, at no point is your divine mother going to appear and say, now you know. <laughs> okay. I didn't get enough gratitude from you. Like this not it's not gonna happen. Right? Yeah. So relax about it. Right? This it's um what's another way we can put this, right? <laughs> nope, nobody it's like this is why maybe perhaps earlier, this is why we mentioned how 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 easily we are hard on ourselves. Mm. Right? Uh, this is a this is a very very potent powerful trick of the ego that the ego exploits. And remember also that the people around you, if they are helping you or trying to help you, because I know as, out of experience, many many people when you're depressed, many people who try to help you, they really have good intentions, but they're only making things worse. I mean, truly. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Wrong. Uh, but not necessarily if you're a functional depressed person that helps to have someone to get you out of the house or remind you you have a deadline help oh, yeah, you a bit sure. with reality context if it's not like terrible depression and you know some days can be like that and you, you're still functional okay you don't get out of the, the house today but you're going to be super active tomorrow and beating yourself down and doing everything on the list but then you see all these people that help you because you still are divergent in some ways and you're like oh my god when am i going to give something to society or to others or when am i going to share the map that got me out of hell if i'm not out yet i mean mm -hmm. it wouldn't be ethical to share half a map either so i think it's all about waiting to get to a point where it made sense or well what to do with that time of waiting between well, the seed has been planted and the results show up. You basically observe yourself because we are in a state of depression right now. Me personally, uh, I'm in a state of depression. Um, so I didn't come here to <laughs> give thanksgiving dinner so to speak i basically came here to observe myself and my own reactions like right now even though i do not express it i'm actually terrified <laughs> and i can feel a certain rage, a rage as well because mm -hmm. like why are you doing this <laughs> and and so on and that energy wants to come forward and be expressed to other people. Um, but that is uh, not the intention for me coming here. So that is basically how I uh, confront my own fears and my own anger in, in that way. And hopefully in discussions that becomes helpful to someone yeah that's that's really well expressed actually that's really good to to be able to put in words the feelings yeah yeah exactly yeah. 
that that's very helpful to hear. Just remember though that one of the uh, well, first of all, let me share this. Benjamin said, I used to feel depressed too, and understanding that it comes from the ego of rage, I helped myself by going to nature and dancing to release that energy. Oh, yeah. Um, anger is an interesting uh, ego because under normal circumstances, it burns itself out relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. If you can release it, right? If you can get it out of your system, rage burns through our energy because it's it's like it's exactly what it seems like, right? It, it consumes the fuel. That's what fire does. But depression is it's it's not being released. So it's it's like festering. So it's it's so yeah. You can think of it as you can think of it as the difference between a uh, uh, big flame or hot coals. Mm -hmm. Now, hot coals might have the same fuel. It might also be wood. But you know when you get into hot coals, it can burn like hot coals for hours and hours and hours. And they, they're hot coals. That's more like depression. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's subconscious and it's, it can linger for a long, long, long time. The problem yes. is that... And this is a this is a big problem that I also faced with the guilt and the shame that and the the uh, the infraconscious mind commenting on the experience of saying so that's the mind that comments on the mind hmm. that says oh when is this ever going to end and why won't this end and you're so useless and you so this and you can't do this and you can't do that right it becomes this self fulfilling feedback loop this this where you start getting more you start getting angry because you are depressed so and then that, getting even more depressed yeah mm -hmm. that, that's right that's right and that's the downward spiral yes yes and exactly so it's a yeah it's so like it's i think um, in systems theory they had this idea of drift to low system uh, loop or something like that when a system goes Exactly like this, service, self-enforcing feedback loop. And, and that is something that um, imposing unrealistic expectations on ourselves is asking for that self-judgment and, mm. and, and then becoming angry at why I can't do this or can't do that or, you know, like, so for example, um, exercise is one of the things that is supposedly good for depression, right? And one of the reasons why exercise is good for depression is because exercise burns energy. Ah, that's why. Okay. That's, and, and if you can starve the ego of rage of the energy that it has, then you're, you're, it doesn't have with which now the problem is, is depending on how you exercise, you might not have the energy to exercise. And then if you get it into your head, that's like, oh, you're being lazy, you're going to get fat, you're going to get this, you're going to get that because you're not exercising. Now, again, there's a risk of this feeding back into anger about all oh, this stupid depression about like to go out for a walk. 
like Benjamin said, go out for a walk in nature. Get out in nature. Don't don't try to do this in a busy, noisy city if you can avoid it. Or find a, find a park. Find someplace quiet around nature and go for a walk. Because walking doesn't take a lot of energy. And even if you're angry, one of the things you can do if you're in a relationship and you get angry at your partner, take a time out and go for a walk. Mm. Burn off some of that energy and allow some of the crazy angry thoughts in your head to work themselves out and burn themselves out so then you can come back and have a civilized conversation again so do this with yourself go out and, and go out for a walk and um, make it a nice long walk mm-hmm. and make it longer than you expect and make it a nice brisk walk and so that you're actually using energy in the process but there's other ways that you can do this um, that are if you can find things that don't take up a lot of energy but require focus and concentration, play a game. Mm-hmm. Get your mind off of the depression. Yeah. There right? are different ways to challenge True. yourself. Yeah. Like... Yes, actually. That's why I consider myself a functional depressed person i i do a lot of things i go to museums i absorb a lot of culture a lot of uh there are also things that i read easier which is spiritual texts which i can you know just get into that mood better to like from a static thing to reading something deeper and at the same time yes that that was my curiosity like when is the time to give something? When is the time to... When do you know or how do you know that you are in a point where you can give something back? When, yeah. you, have, when, you, when you have something to give? Yeah. And when you are confronted with someone who needs what you have to give. And yeah. when you... So in other words, the, the impulse should come from your being mm-hmm. okay and so yeah. uh you don't decide and you won't know and it's not a case of and you might be in a situation where you don't think you're ready to give you don't think you might have you have anything to give but you'll meet someone and then all of a sudden something will come to you and you'll have the impulse to say i've got to help this person i got to do this for this person and you might be in a situation that you you would never have imagined you're in a situation to be able to give to someone, but there you are giving of yourself. And we can say this, that no matter what, uh, the, one of the most powerful, um, tools that we have, because we, we would also, I'd also describe myself as a high functioning depressed depression, depressed high-functioning depressive, if that's the right word. Um, There is nothing more powerful than doing something productive and doing something helpful for someone. Yes. Because uh, one of the things about depression that makes us so uh, vulnerable is that we feel so useless. And to do something productive, all of a sudden you are useful 
And it is very difficult to be angry when you're useful. That's, that's really good. Right? It's hard to be angry when you're productive. Right? It's hard to be angry when you're giving. It's hard. So in many ways, the giving of thanksgiving, the giving to others, the helping of others, or giving back to others, it can be very, like, uh, we won't feel like it. We feel like we don't have the energy to do it. But we would be surprised how little it takes. The little things can mean so much to so many people. And for us, like, like so many times, you might have encountered something or someone has done something for you. And you said, oh, my God, you know what? Thank you. You did that. That's, that was so amazing. You did that. And that other person was like, oh, it was nothing. Mm. And they're not being trite. They're not, they're not being dismissive. It really was nothing for them. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, wow, God put this person in my path. You know, right. it's that feeling that maybe you're on the street and you're lost and you don't have a map, you don't have a phone. I don't know what I have today with maps. That is the word of the day. And you're like, I'm lost. My, I don't have battery. I don't have anything. And someone is like, oh, I know where that place is. Or, oh, here it is. If you, I don't know what, what you're looking for. And you're like, oh, yeah, it was in front of me. <laughs> And how did, you know, how did this person appear in my path? It, it, it's that feeling that it's also they didn't plan to do that. You didn't plan to encounter this moment of synchronicity, but then it's, it's somehow a timing that is greater. Um, here's something else. Uh, do you have most people i want to say most people but most people on the path most people who suffer from depression for sure most of us will have uh, a song or some songs that will bring a tear to your eye they'll bring it brings a tear to our eye something that moves you could be a movie could be could be music um when you're depressed recognize that you're very weak and you're vulnerable put on the put on the headphones you know cue up the music that makes you cry every time not because it's sentimental but because it moves your soul mm -hmm. because it's beautiful it's beautiful and it's true play it and let yourself ball your eyes out let go because anger is one step away from bawling your eyes out. <laughs> yeah. In the best of times, anger is one step away from bawling our eyes out. Mm. Yes. So take advantage of that. And, and, and if you can find uh, mm -hmm. uh, a song like one of our favorites is um, uh, Pink Floyd, Shine On You Crazy Diamond. And there's a seven minute version of that on YouTube. It's a live wow. seven-minute version of that. And it's got the lyrics on the screen. If you can manage it to read the lyrics while they're singing it and allow it just completely 
allow it to penetrate you and wash over you or or whatever music it is see if it's on youtube see if it has the lyrics find the lyrics completely and totally bludgeon yourself with the beauty and the truth of that's in there and let yourself be moved from within and wash away you can't be depressed you can't be angry when you're crying tears of joy yes, right now true. now that's in the true. moment it might feel that way but really what you're feeling is completely vulnerable completely weak and completely humiliated and and bef be before every great exaltation comes a great humiliation so there are many many different uh, uh ways and approaches um that we can take and really when none of that works and believe me i've been in that place where none of that has worked i've tried everything and then you know what i settled in and i just accepted and allowed and went you know what this means? I need to be depressed right now. That's yeah. that's I need this right now. This is what I need. I, yeah. And, what, and then it's like something changes. Something changes. Yeah, because you allow yourself and yeah. And all of a sudden, this is where a true high functioning depressive exists. Is where they the, the depression is. And this is where this is when uh, we came up with the lighthouse analogy, which we've used in live streams, but it's on our Facebook page, where uh, this is where you stop being in the boat, in the storm, and you reorient yourself to the lighthouse. And you're now shining a light on the boat in the storm. And the boat in the storm is going up and down, crazy waves. You know everything else but you're no longer identified with the person in the boat now you're identified with the lighthouse keeper shining the light on the person on the boat yeah this, this is really great this great separation metaphor. this separation allow this is what a true high functioning depressed person does where you can be depressed or not depressed doesn't matter it just is, no, it's it's, just is what it is following the yeah the soul for a bit, the, the light, yeah. And and what you're doing is you're orienting yourself to your consciousness, which is who I really am. I'm not this person in the boat going up and down in the water in the middle of the storm. I'm not a depressed person. I feel depressed, but I'm not depressed. Mm -hmm. If I look up the word depression on Wikipedia, I am not going to see your picture. I'm not going to see my picture. I'm not going to see Azazel's picture, even though he's a good-looking guy. <laughs> right? None of us are good because we are not depressed. We feel depressed. I am depressed is a lie. It's Never, a lie. ever, ever allow yourself to say that. I am depressed. Mm. That's a lie. You are not depressed. You are Serena. You are Azazel. And more than that, you are a divine soul wearing this persona that you call Serena and Azazel, right? So you're not even those things, let alone depressed. That's a lie. But it's a powerful yeah. neuro-linguistic program. 
But when you say, I feel depressed, that's the truth. You cannot deny what you feel. You are experiencing the symptoms of depression. You can't deny it. That's what you are experiencing. Mm -hmm. But it's very different now. It because is. I feel depressed is you in the lighthouse observing your depression. I am depressed yes. is being in the boat. Yeah. No, I feel this because I'm thinking this. And I'm thinking this because I believe these things. Well, there's, there's, there's that, that other aspect to it. But really, when you really get down to it, and when you start recognizing depression as anger, yeah. And you say, well, what am I, what am I angry about? What do I have to be angry about? And you start digging into that and start digging mm -hmm. into that in, in, this um, I'm really going to write it in, uh, in meditation. Um, and I'll do you one better because, um, I'll, I'll do you one better than that. Um, really ask yourself and this is an open question like just right now this is not a rhetorical question anybody in the chat can answer this as well <clears throat> when do you get angry when when, when do we, we get angry when we lose control or when mm -hmm. we feel that we are about to lose control so it's okay, no, no. a matter that, of fear as well okay that's when you that's when you express anger yeah Right. So, okay. So, okay. Why? Okay. Wait a minute. When you say when you lose control, lose control over what? Well, to our attachments, basically. Okay. We so, want things to be a certain way. And when okay. it's not in that way, we lose control okay, by expressing right. our rage. Okay. Right, right, right. So, um, I just needed that to get fleshed out. So, so, so it's spoken. So everybody hears that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. Um, in other words, when outcomes right are not what we wanted them to be yeah we get angry right well we had expectations or we had desires we wanted something to be a certain way and it turned out differently we get we get angry or we get disappointed frustrated whatever you know we we want to get from a to b and there's obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and we get frustrated because we want to get from A to B and we're just we're just getting all of these obstacles in the way. So we get angry. Or we wanted outcome A and we got outcome Z. <laughs> and we get angry, yeah. right? Now, if you dial this back, it's just as Azazel said. Why we're really angry is because we had an attachment to an outcome and attachment to an outcome is a desire for, for comfort and security. We wanted an outcome that we are comfortable with, that we desire, that we wanted. When a different outcome happens, now our comfort and security has been threatened. Our control over the situation has been taken away from us. We no longer feel in control, just as Azazel said. We've lost control, or someone has taken control away from us. Someone has taken agency away from us having 
<clears throat> agency over our own destiny, our own future. Control, the desire for control, is the ego of fear. Fear is behind our desire for comfort and security and its desire for agency over our own destiny. It's desire for it's a, what creates attachments to outcomes. Mm -hmm. This is why, and as silly as this may sound, in our modern mythology, mm -hmm. because it is a mythology, it is a high mythology, the modern mythology of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. It's in Star Wars that Yoda instructs Luke, anger turns to, uh, sorry, fear turns to anger. Anger turns to hate. That is the path of the dark side. But fear turns to anger. So even though depression is deep-seated psych, psych, um, deep subconscious anger, hmm. what causes anger? The loss of control, the loss of agency, the loss of comfort and security, in other words, the ego of fear. The ego of fear is really the culprit behind our depression. Yeah, that's and true. Our, so <clears throat> what is it that we desire in our circumstances? What, what are our attachments? What are our desires? What outcomes are we looking for? Are we searching for? Yeah, that's true. I mean, yes. And, you know, there's this preconception that uh, depression is just a lack of connection to God and people who are connected to God, who pray, who are in contact with their angels and who have a relationship with Christ, they shouldn't feel depressed because that comes from, um, yeah, from demons. But it's not so true. I feel I see a lot of people in church who are depressed. I see a lot of people who have total faith in Christ and are depressed because... It, it, there, of course it helps you to have faith it helps you a lot like you know it, it really I, I i've seen it with my own eyes how i can lift from a state which is not by my own power and at the same time i know that i still have moments when i'm praying and i'm praying and not that it doesn't work but it, it just doesn't work now in this very moment it might work in one hour or something I mean, the prayer takes effect slower sometimes. But yeah, I mean, I definitely think God can take one out of depression, but then we still have to go through that waiting and struggle and waiting for the medicine to work. So that's the thing. But I think that seems to be normal. I mean, yeah. From... There's a bunch of comments here. I want to read a few of them. Yeah. And then let's get back to it. Um, uh, Benjamin says, I used to feel depressed too. And understanding that it comes from the ego of rage, wrath, I help myself by going to nature and day. Okay, we read that one. Yeah. Um, and Benjamin said, I get angry when one of my egos got triggered. Uh, yes, Benjamin, that's yeah. that's um, that beating ourselves up thing that we were talking about earlier. Moon says, we get angry when we are hurt and misunderstood or taken advantage of. Uh, again, that's your control, your agency is being lost. The desire for other people to understand you, that's your this imposition of your will on others to create a circumstance of comfort and security. So that everywhere around you, you have this aura, this safe space that anybody who steps into, they automatically understand who you are and accept you for who you are. That's not the way the world is, but that's the way we want the world to be. That's 100% fear. That's 100% control. 
Uh, Dylan says, I get angry when my sub sandwich is soggy. Who does <laughs> <laughs> Um, Jennifer says, I have dealt uh, with very debilitating anxiety and depression for 20 years now. It started after a car accident. I have tried just about everything to find relief. I'm curious if sometimes anxiety and depression has to do with a dysregulated nervous system and regulating the nervous system is ultimately what will get to the root cause. I don't know. It's just my current theory. Um, your nervous system is deregulated because it is infected by, uh, particularly it's fear that infects our nervous system. Um, uh, anxiety is deep seated psychological, uh, uh, fear and depression is when that deep seated psychological fear gets ramped up and converts into anger and then anxiety becomes depression. But, but all of this, your nervous system. Uh, there is nothing inherently mechanical affecting it. There isn't. All there is are our reactions to it, and our reactions to it are our egos. So if we have fear reactions to everything, then our nervous system is going to be in a constant state of agitation. So we have to get deep into our own psychology. What is it that we're afraid of? And it's not may not be a simple thing that we're looking at, and saying I'm I'm afraid of spiders or I'm afraid of uh, of uh, this or that, um, it can just simply be that um, we have a desire for uh, uh, comfort and security, and that comfort and that general feeling of comfort and security is under constant threat. We live in a world that's saturated with fear. Look, we just came out of the uh, the pandemic, which was a global pandemic of fear. It's no virus. It's not. It's not anything of what people think it is. The real pandemic that affecting the world was fear, and all they had to do was stick a knife into that fear and twist it. And before anybody knew what was going on, the entire world had given up all of its civil liber- civil liberties, shutting down businesses, all the nonsense. Right? You know, vaccine mandates and 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 uh, uh, injection passports and you name it. We don't have to go through all of the ridiculous nonsense that took place over the last two years. Why? 100% because of fear. That's the real virus, is fear. That that is what was behind everything, including, by the way, the scandemic. Because the global elites who use this entire scenario to enact control and see how far they could dial that control and just how much they could they could tighten the noose around the populace. What is the desire to control? The desire to control is fear. The desire for domination and control. That's why in relationships, in sexual relationships, there's something called BDSM, right? BDSM. Uh, bondage, uh, submission, domination, and um, uh, whatever the other one is. Um, so, but but that's that's a fetish that people have sexually, right? They either they either want to be dominant or they want to be submissive. They play one of those roles. So, domination and submission, two sides of the same coin. It's fear. It's just exploitation of fear or indulgence of fear. Well, that's yeah. all it is. So I mean, um, you were saying in a past episode that it's all this game of chess, and it's just, um, it's like a game. 
now that's um if we uh, get into uh, that aspect of it um i mean just just about this one this one discussion i mean i, I didn't want to no, okay, so, like, okay, so fear is oh. what fear three weeks ago we did a live stream that was entitled the pimp of babylon yeah and we entitled it the pimp of babylon because we always hear about the whore of babylon oh. but every whore has a pimp every right so the the horror of Babylon is lust, but the pimp of Babylon is fear. And we talked about that for I think what, what was it as as it what four hours? That last yeah. it was Something long. Like so it was yeah. it was it was crazy. But what we're going to share with you here is the link to our uh, our blog article. Um, here it is on the um, okay. This is a face, it's in the chat as well. Um, face your fears, many faces. And uh, we're going to, uh, da, 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 where is it? Hang on. Uh, okay. Let's share it here, share. Okay. So there it is. Uh, face your fears, many faces. This is a very long article. And we are in the process of turning this article into a book. Oh, because, yeah. How is that going? Oh, it's going slowly because we're working on this video that's taking up all of our time. Anyway, too much okay. to talk about there. Too much to, to okay, talk about. Okay. Um, but um, anyway, anybody who suffers from depression and, and it's a lack of uh, a desire for control, a desire for comfort and security, a desire for outcomes, an attachment to outcomes. This article will help you comprehend the nature of your fear that's behind the anger that is fueling your depression. Hmm. Because fear is the, if lust is the horror of Babylon, fear is the pimp of Babylon. But worse than that, because lust is she's also a bit of a chameleon right because it's lust for fame lust for fortune lust for followers lust for uh, uh, gratification lust for food right it's all lust it's all desire but still we know the flavor of desire pretty well we know even when we get cravings for ice cream or chocolate we we know what gluttony we know that lustful feeling we know what it really is it's desire but fear is the great chameleon fear is a con man and fear is a terrorist fear hides in the shadows fear never faces us mano y mano unless it's until it's too late until the spider's on the bed and we're like oh my god and we're freaking out right like it's it's it, we fear is fear is this is this insidious slimy uh uh, uh because fear can only be one thing fearful it, fear can only be afraid, right? Fear can only be afraid, which means fear always is going to hide its true nature from us. Yeah, so true. this, these are the many faces of fear. There are so many different faces of fear. 
this article just goes on and on and on. Like we're not even talking yeah. about right the phobias, the primal instincts, uh, paranoia, right? Psychotic, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, like That's all these really phobias. Good. Yeah. But then it goes on and on into, you know, then we talk about uh, uh, this is uh, from Gangs of New York, you know, um, uh, Bill the Butcher's monologue about the nature of fear. Then there's paranoia, uh, dangers and monsters, right? There's um, a psychic and psychotic mental phenomenon. But then we go all the way until we finally get to, um, okay, then anxiety, right? Is which is hidden chronic fear. But then there's social anxiety. There's different mm-hmm. kinds of anxiety, right? The, the fear of being oh, yeah. judged. Um, and just oh, go yeah. on that's and true. on. And then we have control, right? The fear of letting go and letting God, that's control. The fear of surrendering to your destiny and surrendering to your divine mother and surrendering to your higher self. The fear of being, the control is the fear of, of giving up uh, the agency over your destiny and giving it to the one who it belongs to, which is your higher self, your true self. Yes. Wow. Um, I think I'm starting to understand what that means to let go from this discussion. I, I hope other people are having this, this awareness or this understanding of it because, yeah, it's something you, you don't understand just from hearing it the first time. It's really and, hard to... And the reason and now why, I'm feeling that, oh, yeah, letting go. And, and the reason why it's so hard to let go is because of this. Because letting go, you have to first face your fear of self and your fear of death. Because letting go means facing both. Psychological death and facing your true self, which Shakespeare called the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. To be right to be or not to be whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against the sea of troubles and by avoiding end them to die to sleep no more because we're asleep if you're depressed you're sleeping you're asleep and it's the depression which is keeping you asleep that's its point its purpose is to keep you asleep the only way Sometimes you can, yeah, sorry. It's to die. This is because it's the, the, the fear. Remember, depression is a, uh, depression is a, is a tactic that the demon of fear has. Depression is a, an effect. It's not a cause. It's a tactic. It's a strategy that fear has to keep us enslaved to keep us under control. Why? Because fear knows that in order for us to let go of it, it has to die. And fear is the primal, primordial self-preservation instinct. That's why it's so hard to talk about fear in the modern world, because everybody thinks that fear is a good thing. Fear is what keeps you alive right because if you didn't if you didn't have fear how would you know not to cross the road without looking both ways people are convinced of this because fear has convinced them of this but fear is a debilitating uh, mechanical aspect that keeps us trapped in our animal nature and keeps our consciousness asleep hypnotized by what fear says we should be focusing on 
and what fear says we should be obsessed with. And that some kind of subconscious obsession of fear, which turns into anger, which turns into rage, that, that manifests itself on the surface as depression. Mm. And fear loves that because that anger uh, is, and that, that uh, surface depression is a way for that demon of fear to gain control over us and to prevent its own death and prevent us from seeing the true cause of our depression. This is, this is so, um, and it took us like literally decades of working this out for ourselves to come to, that's why we're here sharing it, right? This is the harvest that we reaped from our life. And this is, by the way, why we are here suffering with what we're suffering from. It's precisely so that we can share with, with other individuals because we know that fear is the single most dangerous, deadly, and widespread epidemic on the planet. That's why it's it's on our list of uh, of books to uh, to finish and to publish. Um, right, and then we have here we have fear the fear behind the desire for comfort and security. Uh, it goes on and on. And by the way, we're only halfway through the article. Okay, so um, as you can see, we 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 have quite a lot of yeah we have the fear of failure. We have quite a lot of material here for to write a book. So um, it's not a it's not a light read by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I really like to read about this. It, it, I feel that reading helps and writing the fears down helps also. And reading all you can, especially from someone who transmuted it or from writers who went through it and transformed it. That's really important. Speaking of reading, uh, let's read a couple of comments uh, that Dylan shared here because uh, we think we've we've kind of been neglecting them. Um, Dylan said, uh, we struggle with bipolar type two, manic episodes, hallucinations that I'm that I'm being dragged to hell and I'm fighting for my way up. Okay, it's a switch. Can decide whether I take these demons on and be manic for a month or sit back and observe. Either way is on the ride. And he says, uh, it's different now. They are coming after our children, teaching them about anal sex in first grade in the United States. They want to degenerate the strength of our nations and desensitizing us to us to the control, paving the way for the one world government religion currency. Okay, so that's uh, that second, uh, um, the, on the first point, um, Dylan, if you also read the article that we shared on fear, we will share some of our experiencing uh, experiences literally being kidnapped by a demon, by our demon of fear, not a hallucination. In fact, um, this whole concept of hallucination, um, it's that's a whole other topic. But uh, we know for a fact we weren't hallucinating. We were lucid dreaming we were we were projecting in the astral plane and we were uh hijacked kidnapped uh abducted <laughs> what's yeah. what words can we say um and we describe it in the article we we we, we say all about it on the second point 
this whole issue around control and uh, conditioning people to become uh, comfortable, comfortable is not the right word, conditioning them to that state of control is, uh, is related to the four phases of fear. We know about fight and flight, but there's also freeze and fawn. And we talked about fawn in uh, relation to Stockholm syndrome. Uh, that's fawn is the word comes from uh, the, a fawn, uh, uh, a deer, like a, but it relates to Stockholm syndrome where the victim of a dominant uh, torturer or uh, ends up having feelings of respect and admiration for their, uh, what's the right word? Uh, perpetrator? For the perpetrator, yeah, for their, for their, for their perpetrator, for the perpetrator of their, of, of domination over them. Um, and this happens by a process of conditioning where slowly over time, you quote unquote break an individual, you break their spirit, you break their will, and they end up fawning over you because you've 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 shown you have absolute control and absolute dominance over them, and you break that aspect of their ego of fear. So now they default into the passive submissive aspect of fear. You're not really breaking their spirit. Nobody can actually break your spirit. Okay, that's a that's a fallacy. But it's a it's a but it's an expression that we use. <laughs> what they're really doing is conditioning your ego of fear to release and let go of all of its desire for control and desire to be a master of its own destiny. And uh, you end up and you know who the if you ever watch Game of Thrones. It's the character of Theon, Greyjoy, um, who was broken by uh, Ramses Bolton. He was the one who was tortured, and uh, Ramses renamed him Reek. Uh, that's in, in Game of Thrones, that character embodies, he's the personification uh, and embodiment of uh, one who is reduced to a complete coward so much so and that, that that has no choice but to but to serve his master the one who broke him and yeah by the shadow figure by you know whatever but if you've seen game of thrones you know what i'm talking about if you haven't seen game of thrones the um it's stockholm syndrome yeah i've seen that scene do you remember that you remember the from yeah. game of thrones yeah 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 i do um so ramses captures a uh, uh, theon Greyjoy and just tortures him mercilessly uh, and even like mutilates him, mutilates his body and does like terrible things and uh, demasculates him and, and, and just there's terrible things to him where he eventually, uh, Theon eventually just ends up as, a, as his servant and, and he calls him master and he has no choice. Because he's he's so afraid of the consequences. 
Um, <clears throat> so all of this uh, comes back to um, what is fear trying to teach us? It is quite interesting, actually, because I can relate to that switch that he is talking about, yeah. that he can actively enter into those states, um, which is uh, something that we personally can do as well. Um, but we are slowly trying to let go of that as well, which uh, seems uh, to be something that Dylan is doing as well because fear is actually trying to teach us something in our nightmares and so forth it's basically holding our hands to do certain things like a master uh, in in the game of thrones basically decreasing us by te teaching us uh, basically so uh, in this way we uh, tend to do horrible acts towards others or certain other images in our dreams, etc. Um, these images can be real or, yeah, imaginary as well. So, um, so that is basically what fear is trying to teach us, basically. The same lesson that is basically expressed in the game of thrones in in that scene in our experience fear is is trying to teach us to face our fears yeah fear fears fear is afraid and fear is trying is fear is going to distract us and give us all sorts of other things to worry about and do everything in its power to keep our gaze our consciousness focused elsewhere yeah for example depression for example hallucinations for example nightmares but where our gaze needs to be is on fear itself so take the example of a phobia take arachnophobia the fear of spiders yeah now anybody who has a fear of spiders arachnophobia and the psychologists and stuff well in order to get over that fear you have to face your fears you have to face the spider you have to you know and then you have to condition yourself to no longer be afraid of spiders and they think that this is curing them it's not curing them because they're not facing their fear they're facing spiders how is that how's that facing your fear your fear is your fear your fear is not the spider the spider is the the distraction the spider is the object of the fear. It has nothing to do with fear. Your fear would just as happily be afraid of, uh, I don't know, open spaces or heights. Your fear doesn't care what it's afraid of. Just as long 
as you are convinced that your fear is out there somewhere in spiders, in high places, in open spaces, fear of other people, social anxiety, on and on and on and on and on it goes. The many, many, many faces of fear. These are just masks that the fear puts on and takes off whenever he wants. Doesn't yeah. you, you, you get to a point where you're no longer afraid of one mask. Fear says, you know what? That's okay. I got a million of them. You cannot, you cannot overcome fear. Like you cannot overcome fear by overcoming social anxiety. You can overcome social anxiety, but you're not overcoming your fear. Your fear is going to find something else to be afraid of. It's going to find another thing for you to be anxious about. What you need to do, you can't overcome anxiety. You cannot overcome anxiety. Like poor uh, Jennifer earlier, who said, who said that she suffers from anxiety for 20 years and she feels that it's a dysregulated nervous system. That's the distraction. What's causing the deregulated nervous system? You got, we have to get to the root cause and the root cause is fear itself. It's incredible, but it was, uh, uh, um, uh, what was it? Roosevelt who said the only thing we have to fear is fear it's itself. It's incredible that he he revealed it. There it is. There it is. Dylan's right there. D uh, uh, Dylan just uh, put it in the chat. Keeping your attention on fear brings a whole new perspective to the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Correct. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But you see, fear is afraid. Have you ever turned on this light switch in a, in a country that has cockroaches? You ever turn on a light switch? What's the first thing the cockroaches do? Right? They hate the light. They can't stand to be in the light. Why? Because cockroaches love the cracks and the corners and the darkness. Cockroaches operate in anonymity and secrecy. That's why they're cockroaches. Fear is no different. Fear hates the light. Fear will do anything and everything in its power for you to shine the light of consciousness somewhere else. But that's mm -hmm. not going to help you comprehend your fear. You're going to be looking at a symptom. You're going to be looking at a mask. At, at You know what? Uh, the magicians, the stage magicians, what do they do? They use distraction. They use uh, uh, misdirection. These are the these are the tricks of the false magicians on the stage. This is exactly fear. Fear is a terrorist. It's it's and and he's a con man. He's all of these things. He is Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. He is a consummate liar. He is a compulsive liar. Fear is incapable of telling us the truth. All yeah. of more all of this and more fear yeah. is uh the husband of lust he is the consort of lust yeah fear it's it's really lust. heartbreaking to think that so many people don't get to the level of thanksgiving because they're stuck in a level of fear like well, exactly it's that what keeps and i look at people who who talk about 
even who who talk about cultivating greatness even from like from coaching and nlp to spiritual teacher and everyone is getting to this point of saying that yeah you feel the fear and you do what you have to do no matter what you feel and how you feel and you do that um and you keep feeling what you feel but you are still i mean it's very it's very hard i mean i guess it's also a muscle that has to be practiced it's not something you do overnight if you're frozen by fear or crippled by fear and you're in that but it, it is a muscle it's good to see that some people i mean that this method works that it goes somewhere that doing something every day gets somewhere i mean i don't know doing that meditation reading that book reading that thing doing even the least thing that doesn't seem to give an immediate result i'm thinking that that's also a thanksgiving to uh, at a certain level um the As as Modius, um, the consort of um, of Lilith, hmm. Lilith being lust, and Asmodeus being fear. Yeah. Um, now they combined. We covered this three weeks ago when we did our our uh, our live stream on the Pimp of Babylon. Uh, they combined, united, are the antithesis of of love. Mm. Yeah. They do. And so giving thanks or feeling love, giving of yourself, sacrificing of yourself, doing something productive, in any case, um, the real way that you can coexist because fear is something that's very, very difficult to eradicate. But <laughs> yeah. you can weaken it. Mm. Becomes, it becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Now, it's... Oh, this is good. It's, it's still there. We can live no, here. And they make no mistake. Um, egos are like... They're like a battery in a way they can they can charge and they can sort of charge and charge and charge and charge over a long period of time and then they can strike with a tremendous amount of force hmm. um, but they can't sustain it for very long because they're 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 so they're so weak right so they have to like they have to like over inflate themselves and then they deflate like a balloon so i'll give you an example on uh what was it today's sunday so on friday i experienced basically 12 hours of sustained depression and then it was gone mm -hmm. i used to suffer from 12 weeks of depression sometimes 12 days now it's now i've gotten it down to 12 hours and it's literally been like what i don't know months since my last bout of depression. So it's, it's this egos function on egos have a capacity. Remember they're mechanical. They have a capacity. They become weaker and weaker and weaker. So what are the, what are the ways 
if you suffer from fear, to really face your fear and to weaken your fear is to surrender. Is to surrender to to the suffering, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Yeah. To throw yourself, to throw yourself into the fray of your destiny. Because that's the one thing that depression and anxiety, uh, the greatest thing that anybody, any seeker, anyone on the path of the Bodhisattva or anyone that's on a spiritual journey, the two greatest things they have to overcome are, are lust and fear. Mm. Yeah, so, exactly. But it's very easy to say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do my destiny once I overcome this fear. And I'm saying, no, that's not how it works. You overcome your fear by giving into your destiny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, in other words, this, this, believe me, I know because I've been there. This depression is, boy, is that a useful excuse. And fear, fear is behind all of the egos. He's the great chameleon. He's not just anger, fear is also laziness yeah depression boy everybody who has an ounce of laziness boy depression is like the gift from god for someone who likes to be lazy because it's the ultimate excuse yeah. oh i have no energy i can't do this i can't do this i'm feeling depressed that's why i say be productive do something doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter how little it is you know what if nothing else Talk about your depression, write about your depression, start a blog. My life as a depressed, high functioning, depressed person. This is what I'm dealing with today. This is how I'm feeling today. This is how I'm... make a journal and put it online so other people can read it. Other people can learn yeah. from your experience. Yeah. Do something and, and say that, you know what? If you're a high functioning depression, good. Then, but then be high functioning on your uh, your journey of a thousand steps take one step it doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what you do but make sure that it's outside of your comfort zone and it's forcing you to face some fear that's holding you back yeah because we have a very good friend of ours a very good friend of ours who is held back for financial reasons and he's totally terrified of that that these this financial uh, holdup is going to be the end of them somehow and uh he's terrified of uh, what it's going to mean for his family members and all this other stuff and he's held back and it's fear that holds him back so um yeah it's also good to take lust into account actually uh, as well because every fearful person is also a lustful person and vice versa so a lustful person is also very fearful and uh, this is where we can gain a lot from uh, um, practicing these rites of rejuvenation because then we uh, weaken both the pimp and uh, the uh, what's the other word the whore, the whore the whore and the pimp yeah exactly so um 
the transmutation of the sexual force um, is, again, it's it helps to take the edge off, but because the sexual force, all of our egos feed on our sexual force. So if we're transmuting the sexual force, again, the rites of rejuvenation, there's pranayama, but there's prayer, there's mantra. The fact of the matter is that many or most uh, spiritual practices uh, involve the transformation of prana because yeah. it's just it's just what it is, right? But um, it just so happens that there's the uh, the sixth this, the the Myroli, uh, the uh, Viroli mudra in the rites of rejuvenation is very powerful uh, way of transmuting the sexual energy for for singles especially. Now for couples they have uh, available to them uh, white tantra. But again, we caution you as uh, you know, starving, uh, starving the demon of its energy can take the edge off and can take, can, can lower the symptoms, but it's not getting at the cause no, exactly. and transforming and transmuting sexual energy and creating the solar bodies while the demon is still powerful. This, this can lead us to becoming a, ha uh, a Hastamusan. Yeah. Negatively, to becoming an awakened demon. So we actually awaken as fear. If you create the solar bodies while you're possessed by this demon that's causing your depression, you can become a Hanasmusen or one with a split center of gravity. Mm. And you can actually be empowering the demon in the process. So you cannot avoid facing your fear. You cannot avoid comprehending its nature and comprehending its nature on all 49 levels of the mind. Each time you do that, it becomes weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker and diminished and diminished and diminished. Why? Because his hold over you is less and lessened. And each time that happens, you find, you, you find more courage. More courage to do what? To be who you really are. And that is a process of surrender. To yeah. serve your innermost Lord. Because right now, if you indulge in uh, practices that are safe and comfortable and secure, you're indulging and in serving your demon of fear. So It's good to see it like that. What's that? It's good to see it like that, to have this image that, well, am I doing something i mean yeah i mean to see that a, a small step a small change can and has the power of changing your relationship with the fear you're like i'm doing a thing just to see it like a, a strategy that's really that really works yeah i i can imagine this um Dylan has a couple more comments. Let me uh, let me see if uh, they jump in. Fear isn't just demanding; we face it. There are lessons to learn. Every time someone makes us angry or depressed, as we've spoke of, we're given a choice. That's true. Yeah. It's not always clear, however. It's not always clear that the choice that we've been given and the choice that we've made. That's the thing about depression. Depression is insidious because 
very often we have no reason to be depressed where we can't put our finger on it it's there <laughs> it has to be there otherwise the demon would have nothing to be angry about right but but the thing is is the depression clouds our judgment and clouds our mind which is why penetrating past the depression through the depression to get through the anger into the fear and say okay what was it i was trying to control and may be the case not necessarily but it may be the case in our case we can tell you that part of it was why uh why us us are on the path of the bodhisattva and we have so many different projects and things on the go and why isn't anything turning up like why isn't anything working out right nothing was working out nothing was everything was failing everything was stopping everything was all these obstacles, nothing was working out for us. It's like we were, we knew, we knew we were here for a purpose. We were knew we were here to do something. And, and we had been given all of these signs and we had been, we had, been, we had followed our heart and we had done all these things and all of them seemed to stop, seemed to come to a dead end. And, and uh, well, without getting into too many details, uh, one of the things we did is, as always, we just, okay, well, I guess it's, we just have to keep doing more letting go, more surrender, doing more things outside of our comfort zone, things like such as this live stream, which we began just over a year ago. And that we had to face uh not not a tremendous amount of fear in the sense that you might think because we don't have any stage fright we we did theater we did radio we, we so we had no stage fright in that sense no the fear that we had to face was the fear of creating a cult of personality the, the fear of being another talking head on youtube Right. Someone who's just, you know, another content creator, you know, uh, uh, there was this an irrational fear. And but it would what it was given very. It had very noble, uh, righteous <laughs> uh, rationale behind it. And we had to get over that. We had to throw caution to the wind. You know, suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune and just do it um by the way one of the most powerful corporate slogans ever created just do it because if you ever face any fear this is a clue right if you're, you're if you're yeah. not doing something because of fear there's a good chance you should be doing it. Now, I'm not yeah. talking about jumping off cliffs, right? I'm not talking about that or jumping out of airplanes or whatever. I'm talking about life and the direction you go in your life. And if you've had intuitions or you have a deep longing or, or something inside of you that really, really is pushing you in a certain direction, but it's fear that's holding you back, just do it. 
consequences be damned. Because if that is your, if, right, if that is your path, do not let fear stand in your way. Yeah, I feel that slogan is aligned to such a high level of consciousness. I mean, that's why it's doing so well, I think. I mean, if you would think of uh, the scale of consciousness, that's pretty high. It's like courageous, bold, it's taking action, it's in a vibration of action. So, yeah. It, it's also, it's it can also be twisted and corrupted by ego. Like many, many, many people have fallen into many mistakes because somebody said, oh, just do it. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but that's because it's so like powerful. Everything can be turned exactly exactly but it is very very powerful and that's why the ego wants to use it as well dylan says to fall back into the routine and habits the ego rather uh than seeing this all for what it is objectively and make the altruistic decisions that choice is such an uplifting moment uh, effectively weakening the fear um so yeah, the, the routine habits of the ego, uh, that's a lot of that is uh, can fall into the comfort and security um, uh, basket. So we have our um, our wheelhouse that our, our our comfort zone, our safe space. And as long as we're inside there, we we feel cocooned. We're we're we have our defense. You know, we we feel safe. But um, life is not supposed to be safe and things that are worthwhile doing are challenging and challenges challenge us and if we are safe and comfortable we are not being challenged because safety and security is not challenging it's easy and that's the wide that's the easy path to the wide gate into hell so looking at your comfort and security uh look to that also as a cause for depression because the thing about comfort and security is something might be out of place you might not even know it but subconsciously something has been put out of place and that irritates you that something is not where you where you need it to be where you want it to be so now you're thrown off you're agitated because something's not in its place, but all of this is happening subconsciously. This could be a trigger for depression because something is out of place. But that's, that's because so your comfort true. and security. That's because your comfort and security has been disturbed. But it's subconscious. You don't. You're not conscious of it. All you're conscious of is the depression. Dylan that's says true. Part- we are. We all crave order in a way, <laughs> like a divine that's right. order. That's right. And you we, know, and it's we, like we, we healing to, something is putting it in order. But the thing is, is that learning how to live with disorder, learning how to live with chaos, the world is chaotic, especially now. If we can't learn how to be comfortable, like learn how to accept and allow chaos, we're not mm-hmm. going to survive the Kali Yuga. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's like order the orders of love and learning to be anti-fragile at the same time to two aspects like anti-fragile is this idea that thriving by um by chaos or by your challenges hang on one moment talk amongst yourselves i'm gonna pop off for just a second okay
Okay. Yes, I, I just wanted to say that it was a really good talk, really. I, I felt it's a proper exercise in presence being here with you guys. And yeah, I think I'm going to go and uh, I'm going to go for a walk because it's a beautiful full moon tonight. Yeah. And I haven't seen it yet. I was just like in, in my own uh, reality tunnel, so I didn't get to see the moon. So maybe I should just go by the sea and write a list of my fears right now. Yeah, exactly. That sounds very good. <laughs> yeah. Because we must learn to face it head on, even though we are on fire. So we have to let go of that fire um, by yeah. Letting it be consumed. Uh, yeah, Not or even better, yeah. 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 Write a list of the fears and set that list on fire. Yeah. Like it, it works all the time. Sometimes I just don't don't get started to do it because I get distracted. Like yeah, you were exactly. talking. But yeah. Making a list of the fears is a good thing and setting it on fire. <laughs> Just yeah, exactly. And realizing that you are being on fire, basically. <laughs> yeah. And that energy has to be consumed or it can consume you. So taking a walk, doing something productive uh, is obviously helpful. Yes. I wanted to thank you guys thank you so much fellow travelers fellow seekers friends i'm really happy that i had this time of presence and wisdom and um i'm going to take a walk and admire the full moon because it's a beautiful full moon i didn't get to see it yet okay so wishing you a beautiful day or evening or night or wherever you are well, yeah. thanks for joining us. You're always welcome. Um, Thank you. If you have a, a one more minute, there's something more powerful than writing your fears down and burning the paper. That's meditating on your fear. That's meditating yeah. on a fear until you comprehend the nature of the fear and then visualize in your mind, you put the fear on trial. And you have Anubis and the Lords of uh, Karma are sitting in the as the jury. Anubis is the judge and the Lords of Karma are the jury. And you put your fear on trial and you are the prosecuting attorney. And you accuse the fear of all the suffering that it causes you and others. That is a badass. Trick. And then that is a badass. Then you 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 uh, you pass judgment. And Anubis judges the fear guilty. And then you have your divine mother come. And she is the executioner. And she, with a her flaming spear, stabs the fear in the head and in the heart. And in the uh, in the sex sexual organs that's our three brains the mind the heart the uh, mental emotional and motor instinctive sexual centers yeah. as she is doing that and the fear you in your meditation you visualize that she is stabbing you 
in your mind, in your heart, and in your sex. And you see the flames consuming you and the demon of fear is lit on fire and is burning. And she three times each in your mind, in your heart, and in your flame. And as you do that, you mentally pronounce the mantra Kareem, but you have to roll the R. Kareem. I can't roll my R's like that. I can only roll my R's for a very brief period of time. Kareem, Kareem. But it's K R I M, and you announce it. You elongate K R I M. M. Okay. Kareem. Okay. And yeah. Do this. Uh, it's infinitely more powerful than writing down your fears and burning them. writing them down. Okay. I will see. Like, for example, I think there are some prayers to Virgin Mary where she is visualized as slaying these demons. I know, I know you made that expression. <laughs> Sorry. I'm actually, I come from a Christian background. I didn't embrace it at first, but I'm starting to find things in it. And I can visualize. I think I will try to mix something of like mix the this ritual that you talk about with my the, background the key is to do I'll it in meditation the, the the key to do it is uh, the key is to do it in meditation and the key is to you have to have patience and after you have achieved a comprehension on the nature of an insight into into the fear and so it is helpful to do a retrospection meditation and because fear has many faces, you can look at, for example, your attachment to outcomes, your desire for comfort and security, for example, your relationship, as, uh, as Aziel was pointing out, um, in, in uh, sexual relationships, uh, a sexual attraction, are you dominant or are you submissive? You can meditate on that. You can, all of that is fear. So uh, there are many, many, many aspects that you can meditate on. And when you achieve an insight, no matter how insignificant that insight may seem to you, but you all of a sudden you have a realization, oh, so, so that's what's been going on. Then you put the, put the demon of fear on trial and you recognize that your divine mother has to burn this demon away out of you. So that's why she burns the demon to, to dust while she's stabbing you in your three brains. Your heart, your your mind, your heart, and your uh, your spinal column, your sex, and um, this is something that you can do. Again, it's and you don't you don't have to burn any physical paper. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's more, it's it's it's. This is an actual practical way, again, where you can diminish uh, fear stranglehold. Uh, over you and um, yes oh, so if you need to go Serena we'll let thank you go you. Um, we have Dylan yes I will go now thank you so much I will uh, experiment with this tools that I have and let you all know how it goes okay um, for sure I'm definitely making steps in facing my own fears and that's a great thing and in answer so. to your other question yes you can always contact us Okay, thanks. Okay. You can always contact yes. us with your questions, okay?
Sure. Thank you so much. Have You're a beautiful evening today. Uh, Dylan says, sometimes the universe uh, tells you to get out of the way. Days where nothing is going right, it seems it wants you to get out of the way and let our higher power make a way. Uh, that's always the case. When things are going well, we need to get out of the way. It's, it's always the case. Is that we need to get we need to serve our higher self, get out of the way of our higher self, but serve our higher self, listen and act on the being impulse. So in the in the days that nothing's going well, sometimes our job is just to observe and be patient and yeah. suffer and allow. Um, Dylan also says the opposite of a depressant is what a stimulant. Um, yeah, but we're not talking about the same depression, the, the uh, depression now. We're not talking about the same kind of depression. Um, there are obviously substances that you can take that will make you depressed, <laughs> but it's not the same kind of depression. So it's just, it'll give you the symptoms of depression. And, uh, and, and by the way, when it comes to a stimulant, a stimulant can also cause depression if what it stimulates is your fear. So, uh, and finally you said, you said, uh, what did you mean orders of fragility? We're not sure what we meant by orders of fragility. We're not even sure we said it. Uh, we don't know if maybe there was a miscommunication or. Uh, I think Serena mentioned it before. Something oh, of orders. Okay. And... Oh, okay. So, so the question was for uh, Serena. Okay. Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. Well, we're almost at the four hour mark. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a good time as any. <laughs> yeah. And not least because the reason why we were being paged uh, was mm. with us. We were actually paged to uh, for dinner. Uh, just goes to show you how seriously other people in this household take our work. Mm -hmm. um, when they know that when they know that we're live on the internet, and uh, we basically told them, you know, no interruptions. But anyway, that's a, that's a Hungarian household for you, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, oh no, dinner, no, no. That supersedes all food. Supersedes all other concerns. There's nothing yeah. more important in the universe, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, the uh, for Hungarians, they 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 worship the great paprika in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, does anybody else have any other comments or questions? Because um, if not, then we'll call it a we'll call it a day. Moon says a great discussion, guys. My first time. I really enjoyed every bit of it. Love, peace, and blessings to all. Well, so happy to have you here, Moon. Um, glad you can join us, and we hope to uh, see you again in the future. Yeah. You know what? We also enjoy, and Jennifer says, thank you. Jennifer, um, again, uh, uh, the article that we shared, uh, do take your time to go through it. Take your time. There's no rush. Uh, there might be something in there for you, especially if you, since you suffer from anxiety. Um, so what we... Uh, um, 
we also enjoy when it's a discussion. That's we we try to we try to share the link every time, and uh, we also enjoy when when uh, when you come on and participate. And everybody is welcome to participate. We have few enough people uh, watching that it, it's quite it's quite uh, possible to make it more like a Zoom call. Yeah. And, um, so whenever you feel so inclined and you want you have, you want something to share then you can share it in the chat, but you can also feel free to pop on. It's very simple. You can also do, um, you can also use your smartphone. You don't have to be on a computer to, uh, to participate. Um, Moon says, happy Thanksgiving. If you guys are in Canada, love and peace from Montreal. Well, love and peace, uh, uh, Moon. Uh, I'm in Canada. I'm in Ontario, not much, um, uh, just uh, west of uh, Toronto, but uh, happy Thanksgiving to you too. Dylan says, what's for dinner? <laughs> I'm not making this up, right? It's perkelt. It's a Hungarian. It's a Hungarian dish. It's very similar to guyash, but it's not a soup. It's not a stew. It's just like the guyash meat served over uh, over egg noodles. So that's what's for dinner. Speaking of which, I should probably get going because by this yeah. point, the Hungarians are having a uh, – speaking of fear – they're all they're all in a panic right now. <gasps> what could he possibly be doing? That's more important than dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you all for joining. Thanks, Azazel, for popping on and uh, being the first penguin that started the rush. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> being the you were the first to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Yeah. <laughs> Moon says the turkey is waiting. The turkey, uh, yeah, for Moon, the turkey is waiting. For me, the turkey will be tomorrow. So, so there you go. So, uh, thank you all. Uh, have a, a good, good uh, uh, evening. Uh, I say goodbye to Azazel as well before yeah, I. Uh, goodbye. Okay, take care, Azazel. And um, take care, all of you, and inverential peace. God bless. Oh.